Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. It's Friday and the the dictatorship is still here, uh, uh, especially according to Tucker Carlson. It's fascinating. I was listening to his his uh, tweet show. <laughs> I guess we can call him that. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what else to call him, but uh, yeah, it's fascinating. So if you think he was bold before, you should hear him on Twitter now. It's really quite fun. So he spent um, this, his last episode talking about not only fifteen minutes long. Well, the best part of Tucker Carlson was always the, the, the monologues anyway, because after he got into reporting the news, which is kind of like a standard news show. Yeah, he asked some good questions. He did some good things like that. But what is, what the, the best part of the show was the beginnings, because he had these incredible monologues. And we talk about uh, things that nobody else in news would talk about. And you'd be listening just because, well, that's kind of cool. You know, you'd be thinking exactly, you know, what he's thinking, but it's just nice to hear somebody say it uh, who has a huge audience. And you think, wow, gee, I guess I was right. So that happens to me all the time especially stuff I talk about. Um, and a lot of times it happens, this is going to sound arrogant, you know, m- days, weeks, months later uh, after we talk about stuff. Like I have a, have a feeling that Trump and uh, RFK are talking to each other behind the scenes a lot. And no one's reporting it, and I, I can't prove it. It's just a speculation because I see too many things in common. that They, they both come out against uh, foreign wars uh, strongly, you know, for, for you know, all the stupid wars. The, the stupid wars would be the ones fought since World War II, which would be Korea, Vietnam, um, Iraq, Afghanistan, and Ukraine. And not that people didn't die and give their lives and sacrifice for their country, and I don't take anything from them at all. Uh, but quite honestly, they, should, they, they never should have gone in the first place. Um, anything that needs doing, but that needed doing after World War II could have been done by uh, a special forces team or, or a missile attack or something, or now a drone strike. You know, Trump's major adventures killed one person at a time. And made a huge and profound change. Didn't risk troops. Didn't spend trillions of dollars. And you know, but uh, that's not the goal. The goal of the neocons of the permanent war class, as I call them, Tucker calls them the neocons. I call them the permanent war class. Is that we always have to be at war somewhere, spending trillions of dollars, taking the money away. And I got a question from Matt Gates when I get him on the show. Again, is would it have been worth? Uh, would it we not have better spent the money? You know, the, the six or seven trillion in Afghanistan and I, what, I don't know how many trillion in Iraq and, uh, and we're, spent, we're up to 120 billion, you know, in Ukraine right now. But, you know, things are just getting started there. Um, giving, a, you know, like a national care voucher to everybody who you know, makes less than, I don't know, $50,000 a year or something or $100,000 a year. I mean, depending on how you do it. Um, but you could have taken all those trillions of dollars. And better spent giving people a voucher so they could buy health insurance, so they, they never really had to worry about uh, you know where the cost of their where the money for their medical care came from, and they could compete and they could ask prices, and they could spend wisely, and they could do all kinds of things that consumers do with everything else. I, I you know I think that would have been a better solution. I mean, if you're going to spend the money, you might also spend it on Americans, not you know wasting it on um, other countries uh, and uh, making you know everybody else rich except Americans. You know, our, our bankers and military contractors and government personnel and all the other folks you know, make money off wars. We need to shut that whole industry down. I'm going to shut down Big Farm and a couple of others while we're at it. Big agriculture, you know, making money off farm subsidies. And, it was, you know, the economic problems, the, the, the national debt uh, is actually pretty solvable if you take away all the things that government shouldn't be spending money on. 
And so that's what uh, that's what we're working on. Anyway, it's Friday. I got plenty of time to chat. Anybody wants to join me on live chat? Uh, anybody wants to call in to one five three eight three three eight three two? We got the whole first two hours to uh, to chat and hang out and visit. And it's summertime, and so uh, one of the problems with summer, of course, is nobody's here. <laughs> you know, so so uh, Candace is out, and uh, she does a nine o'clock hour usually. Uh, hasn't for a few weeks. She's been busy. Uh, Derek, Derek's had a few weeks off. He's it's summertime, so he's doing stuff, and so I don't expect most people to be back until after Labor Day. Uh, so I got a lot of free time. So now is a good time to, to uh, talk. Now is a good time. If you've never called a radio show, uh, feel free. You know we're, we're very open today. I have several uh, issues to cover. I'll play a lot of different things, part of my sarcastic pieces, and uh, of course I have to make more of those. Um, but the biggest problem always is time. You know, the more stuff I uh, uh, get into, the more time it takes up, and the more time I'm away from the show. Uh, most of the work is away from the show. The show is the easy part. I just sit here and chat and kind of report on what's going on. But the real work, the bill work, is is outside. I mean, I still have an electric uh, car tax bill that I want to write. Uh, there's a bill that I want to uh, take uh, all trans surgery and drugs and, and you know define them as elective, uh, elective and cosmetic, and that would uh, stop uh, you know anybody paying for it except the person who wants the elective surgery. That's how elective surgery works. That's the difference. If it's medically necessary, then uh, insurance and everything else can pay for it. But if it's elective, it's on you. And, of course, all, all stuff that, uh, you know, people want to do to alter their bodies from tattoos to, uh, you know, body part addition or removal um, is cosmetic and elective because they choose to do it. There's no medical reason to do it. Um, oh, that was interesting to say that. Let's, let's see who comments on that. Anyway, but that's where I stand. Okay, so um, that's, that's, that's what's going on. So we're, the, the, the nation is still declining. The, uh, the dictatorship is growing. The power of the deep state is uh, getting worse all the time. You know, they're monitor, monitoring everything, surveying everything. You know, and uh, again, if you want to know what's, what I'm thinking, listen to the show. I just, it's not like I'm holding anything back. And we're pretty bold around here with what we say. It's kind of fun. Anyway, so let me go through my, my opening. So I got Tucker Carlson. I talked about that. Um, do you think Trump and RFK are talking behind the scenes? And the reason I ask that. Uh, again, Title 47, or was it Project 47, which is the one that's going to look into uh, the reasons behind, and of course we know the reasons behind vaccines, right? Uh, but autism, obesity, allergies, and all the different things that are happening to kids um, that are just screwing them up, uh, you know, just ner- nerve damage, brain damage, I mean, all the things, you name it. Uh, I, I pretty much guarantee they're all traced back to vaccines because that's the one thing that has increased uh, as all these other problems have increased. So, you know, well, it's, it's, maybe it's a coincidence and not causation. Uh, okay, you can, you can go with that if you want. <laughs> I think you're wrong, but I think it, it definitely looks like causation. Anyway, Marcos joined us from the Netherlands, and so we'll uh, see what he thinks of uh, all these things as we go. Um, got a new gun babe. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that. But uh, Friday is kind of like gun day around here. And so I like to talk about gun issues because gun issues are so critical to everything else um, because as the, the guns are like the canaries in the coal mine. You know, when the government takes away the guns, the, then you know they want to take away everything because why would a government worry about people having guns unless they wanted to do something so horrendous that the people might have to use the guns against the government? You know, so it's pretty obvious. When a government comes from your guns, they're, they're on their, you know, their dictatorship. They're a tyranny. They, they want absolute control. They want to do things they're not supposed to do. See, the benevolent government, the, the proper government, the government of the people, the government that stays within the bounds of the Constitution has nothing to, to worry about uh, the people armed, uh, you know, uh, armed incredibly. You know, if every American citizen had a huge arsenal, you know, and it had like, I don't know, say 100 guns and, 
you know, uh, 50,000 rounds of ammunition. Let's just pick some, some big numbers here. So every American, just imagine if every American had a thousand, you know, a thousand, let's say 100 guns and 50,000 rounds of ammunition. That's a lot. That's a lot of stuff, especially when you start combining, you know, a population of 330 million, let's say adults to be about, you know, who could carry guns and do stuff, 200 million. Um, so that, that's a lot of guns. <laughs> yeah, that, that's like 2 billion guns and, you know, 500 million rounds of ammunition. And it's just my math isn't good, but it, it's a lot. So, but would the government worry about that? Well, well, not if they, uh, not if they were following the Constitution, they have no reason to, right? Because people, people don't rebel against good government. They rebel against bad government. People don't rebel uh, against the government that supports their rights, stays within the bounds of the Constitution, limits itself, keeps tax down, um, keeps uh, inflation, or it makes inflation non-existent. Uh, basically what Trump is doing. You know, makes other nations pay their fair share, puts tariffs on nations that tax our goods. You know, everything that Trump did. So the, so the population would never rise up against a Donald Trump because he was doing exactly the things that made America great. Well, countries don't rise up. People don't rise up against governments that make your country great. They rise up against governments that create tyrannies. Okay? So those are the ones that always try and take away the guns because they have to to impose their tyranny. So, so the Brandon insurrection run by illegal Brandon, a.k.a. Barack Obama, uh, Susan Rice and Hillary Clinton is a uh, is an oppressive tyrannical government with a permanent war class with a, with an em- economic class that wants to steal all the money through inflation and a big pharma class that wants to drug and kill millions of people and with an agriculture class that wants to steal our food put GMOs and vaccines in our food and everything they can to destroy us that's a tyrannical government that's the government that people would rise up against now do I advocate that no I've got a better idea it's called Action Radio we write bills we write the bills that, uh, that put the freedom back where it belongs with we the people. And so as a, in a total reversal of business as usual, not, in, not only in this country, but pretty much all countries, uh, where the, the, the government and their special interests get together and, and create horrible laws that uh, basically steal things from the people and regulate the people beyond belief, we're going to reverse that, where we the people write the laws that restrict the government beyond belief. Can we do it? Sure we can. Do people believe it? Not yet because uh, they haven't seen it happen. People only believe things that have already happened. Well, if you're waiting for it to already happen, it's never going to happen. Okay? You have to believe it before it happens. You have to have enough faith to at least copy a link to a bill and send it to a media and government you know, before that bill passes. Otherwise, it doesn't pass. So you really are required to take a little bit of a leap of faith here to make things happen. Otherwise, things don't happen. And, and if you're waiting for something to happen before you do something, it'll never happen. It's too late. We don't need you people. You, you know, just go ahead and keep complaining. You know, keep passing around memes and keep, keep passing around all the, all the dumb things that I see uh, every day. And here's the latest scandal and here's the latest information. And, oh, no, you know, Brandon has, you know, collected another $5 million from here and there. And, oh, no, this is terrible. Let's share this meme and it'll do something and we'll feel better. But will it accomplish anything? No. Not until you share a bill. Not until you, you share an agent of change. See, our bills are agents of change. You know, they're, 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 they're things that can actually do something. So all those folks that want to do something and not, aren't sharing our bills, you're not going to do anything. You can pass around memes all day long, and the, and the left doesn't care about that because they, they, they think you're kind of stupid because all you do is pass around memes. You know, make yourselves feel good. You know, applaud yourselves. Pat yourself on the back. We've got great memes. We've got really tough memes against the left. The left doesn't care. The left never cared about Rush Limbaugh. You know, I mean, they complained. You know, Bill Clinton complained. He's got 15 hours a week. I had trouble with Bill Clinton. He's got 15 hours a week. You know, it's just anything he wants, and he will, he'll say it. You know, that's a Bill Clinton, right? Well, supposedly, <laughs> you know, but um, no one cared. Bill Clinton didn't care about Rush Limbaugh. 
because Rush Limbaugh didn't change anything. Now, now I love Rush Limbaugh. He's a wonderful, you know, uh, talk show. His analysis was right on about the left. I mean, it was incredibly accurate. But he was only really good around election time because his anal- that's when his analysis was most needed. The rest of the time, he's talking about golf and cigars, which is kind of stupid. Because he was, but he didn't change anything. He didn't advocate a bill. He purposely didn't advocate bills. He didn't advocate change. He just told you what was wrong. Well, to me, that's like only half the battle. So as I stand on the shoulders of Rush Limbaugh and advance talk radio into action radio, we are going to do things. We've got a bunch of bills, and I need to write them. And you need to write them, and we need to get them on writeyourlaws.com. That's what we do here. So the, the ones that are really uh, pressing right now um, in my ideas folder, let me just do these off the top of my head. First one is electric car tax bill. We need to equalize uh, the, the market uh, affinity, shall we say, for electric and gasoline and diesel cars. So in other words, there should be no difference uh, in terms of government input into which is better, which means no subsidies for electric cars. Uh, we need to have an electric uh, tax. You have a gas tax per gallon. I've got to figure out what the equivalent, and I, I need someone that knows physics. What is the equivalent? Maybe, maybe Marco. He, he's a high-tech guy. What is the equivalent um, to a gasoline tax, either per gallon or per liter, you know, per volt? <laughs> how, many, how many volts of power generation, or is it amperage? In other words, what measure do we use to equal the gas tax in cars in electric cars to make them competitive with uh, – make gas cars competitive with electric? Because right now electric subsidized. You just pay for the electricity. But if electric cars drive on the road, then they should be paying road tax and tire tax and all the other taxes that gasoline cars pay. Also, they need to have a, a hazmat fee for that battery. I'm guessing just arbitrarily $20,000, $25,000 needs to be added to the cost of an electric car for the disposal of the battery. And so uh, that would make uh, cars actually, electric cars actually pay for themselves because right now they're not because the government wants to convert us all to mono power. In other words, one power source. So no gas stoves, no uh, gasoline engines, no, no power options. And if you read our Australian Bill of Individual Rights, you know that options and power is one of the basic rights of, uh, of the individual. You know, you have a right to, to your own source of power. You have a right to be free of surveillance technology. You have total mind and body autonomy. You know, you have a right to be free of 5G and other dangerous technologies. We have, uh, we have all that kind of stuff. Ooh, Marco's on it right away. He says, I can find that. that. Hold on. i got two hours. Take your time. <laughs> you know, he says, I know kerosene has about 10 kilowatt hours per liter. You know, that's a good thought. Marco, I think he's on to something because if we take how much a generator, um, how much gasoline does it take to power a generator? So what we need is, is how much gasoline would power a generator that could power a car. Hmm, now we're on to something. If Marco gives us a conversion factor, oh my goodness, <laughs> Marco just made a really big post. That, okay, I, I can't even read it. So, so let's see, what, what do we got here? Because I'm going to turn this into a bill. Uh, gasoline gallon equivalent. Okay, so he's got, let me copy down the website and some Wikipedia. He uses Wikipedia a lot. It's amazing. Actually, there are a lot of good things on Wikipedia, just when they get into political... Um, Stuff that uh, can be a problem. So let me put up in my my. Uh, I'll put it in the Facebook Twitter section. For those that don't know, I have a, I have a template for every show. It's got different sections. It's got announcements. Uh, I got my Facebook Twitter section. I've got my opening comments. I got my main show topic, advertising schedule, guests, sponsors, all that kind of stuff. Most of it I don't use because I know how to do the show, so I, I don't often look at it all. But let's uh, let's, let's see there. Let's, let's see what we've got. So so it goes uh, Wikipedia gasoline gallon equivalents. Let me take a look at these here and, and see what we've got. So gasoline, 100%, 100%. I don't know how to read all these numbers. So 10% MTBE. Okay, so MTBE was that horrible chemical that got Gray Davis uh, recalled in California. He was the governor there. 
So what I need is an equivalent. It says, uh, it says GCE, I'm not sure, or GGE, I'm not sure what GGE is. Something gallon equivalent. Calculated for gasoline in the U.S. Uh, at 14,000 British thermal units per gallon. Okay, so how many British thermal units per, where, where's the equivalent in, uh, in electricity? How can we correlate, uh, you know, a gallon of gasoline would generate, or a liter of gasoline would generate how many British, all right, so it says, a U.S. gallon creates 114,000 British thermal units, GGE. So that's gasoline, something equivalent. So it creates 100 uh, gasoline gallon equivalent. Okay, so there we go. Okay, great. Thanks. Thanks, Marco. So if, it, if gasoline – I'm reading right off live chat. So if you're listening to the podcast, you, you probably don't know where I'm getting the information. It's right on our live chat, which only functions during the live show. So one liter of kerosene is about 10 kilowatt hour. Ooh. Oh, that's interesting. So 10 kilowatt hours. So, what, so in other words, what we're trying to do, that's the electricity equivalent. All right, so I'm going to put this down here. Gee, hang on, I'm, just, I'm, just gonna make, I'm making copies of all this stuff. I'll put it right on my, uh, my notes here. These will, these will be able to keep. So the live chat notes disappear, so I don't copy them. They're, they're, they're gone. So that's why it's critical to, uh, critical to copy them. All right, so let's see where to go. I went to Facebook, Twitter. I'll answer put it this time. All right, so let's take a look here. Let me post this. So gasoline gallon equivalent. So if one liter of kerosene is about 10 kilowatt hours. How many, how does that translate to an electric car? So what is, how much storage? Well, let me see. How, how do we measure how power goes into an electric car? That'd be the next question. So how do, how do we tax it? So a liter of kerosene, kerosene is basically jet fuel or barbecue fluid. So that's going to be different than gasoline. It's a different octane. Octane is a carbon chain uh, of eight carbon atoms. That's where octane, you know, octagon, eight. That's what oct means, is, is Latin for eight. Um, and so we need to find whatever, I need to equate uh, a gas tax, say, say that gas tax is 50 cents a gallon, all right? I need to find a tax on, on I guess, kilo, I guess they measure electricity in kilowatt hours, how many kilo? All right, so it says one liter is, is 10 kilowatt hours. So we need to, I'm, see, I'm just figuring this out. Marco's probably listening and laughing at me. Um, so we need to, so it's 10 kilowatt hours per liter of, gas, of kerosene. How many liters in a gallon would be about, where's my, uh, uh, and he's got kilo, he's got KCALs. It's just really getting complicated here. So is a liter of kerosene equivalent to a liter of gasoline? A liter is like, you know, how many liters is like, what, three and a half, four liters? We get, we got, I'm, I'm going to work on this. I'm going to find some equivalents. So, but that's a start. A liter of kerosene is about 10 kilowatt hours. So what we need is, so I guess we need to tax electricity based on the kilowatt hours that, uh, so, uh, that go into a, uh, a tank. Well, let me see if I can find this out real quickly here. Liters to gallons, liters to U.S. gallons conversion. Don't mind me. I'm just experimenting. <laughs> this is kind of fun. It's live radio. I can do that. I got two hours, so I might as well. So liter to U.S. gallon conversion is converting liters to gallons, unit you know, converter. Let's just say one. Um, let's say one U.S. gallon to convert. So one, 3.78 liters. Huh. Okay. 
Sure. So, so, so roughly a 3.8. Let's just say 0.54. So that's a leader conversion. It's not a really clean conversion. <laughs> it's just not. So, all right. So I'm just like I said, I'm thinking here. So if we do that, and and so I need to find so if one gallon, one gallon. So one. Hang on, I'm just writing down that one gallon, U.S. gallon, because British gallons are different. One U.S. gallon equals equal sign here. Let me put my my number down to match. Three point seven eight five four liters. So roughly, so we can do that times ten. That should be easy. I can actually do this math in my head. Hang on, where's my x? Times ten. That's going to be thirty-seven point eight five. So, so, so one gallon of gas is thirty-seven point eight five kilowatt hours. How am I doing, Marco? So now what we need to do is tax. Hmm. How so? So then the question is, how far can an electric car go on thirty-seven point eight five kilowatt hours? So I'm trying to convert. I got to figure out a way to to convert this to you know basically mileage. In other words, how much electricity drives an electric car? How far? Or how much power does it get? See, with gasoline, average car takes what fifteen gallons? I'm just guessing, ten to fifteen gallons. Okay, so a decent car that that would go maybe two to three hundred miles, maybe three to four hundred miles. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to find. So if gas is is fifty cents a gallon tax, how much would you tax a kilowatt hour going into your car, or ten kilowatt hours? So in other words, if you tax ten kilowatt hours at fifty cents. No, we just have to. Uh, I, I'm not good at math. I need to find. I need to find a ratio. So I'm gonna let. Uh, it says with the insane gas prices over here. I already looked this up uh, years ago when I switched to gas heating to kerosene heating. Okay, yeah, kerosene is is like jet fuel. It's like the it's very uh, low quality. I mean, jets use it because they go through so much of it. Um, that's what, that's why what that's why barbecues smell like jet engines because <laughs> it's the same fuel. Um, all right, so I got to still work on this. I've you know, I've got to sort of figure it out in my head how it works. All right. So let's let's um, let me do a uh, one of my transitional things here as we get to a, a new topic. So let's let's do, 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 do where's my shortest one? Here we go. So I do that to let people know I'm changing subjects <laughs> because otherwise, you know, you kind of fall asleep during that chat. I was just having about the electricity equivalent. So I've got the information from, uh, from Mark. I'm going to check it out and incorporate it into the bill. But the point is I want to have an electric car tax, you know, per kilowatt hour that's comparable to, you know, the gas tax. And so we'll add that onto our electric car tax bill, removing all the subsidies, adding a hazmat fee for the disposal of the battery, and we'll come up with a bill. If the numbers aren't right, then uh, we'll let Congress change it. I mean, it'll be up to them. So we'll see what happens. So that's the, and I want to incorporate that into the Trump 2024 campaign. So I'll be sending it to my Congressman Matt Gates, and so I'll actually be taking some action on that. Okay. Now here's where things get interesting. 
So I was listening to One American News, as I do on a regular basis, and they had a special by Robert Francis Kennedy, who was on with um, uh, Joe Rogan. So I had to listen to that whole thing. So this was the day, day 6, 16, 23. So, so RFK is on with Joe Rogan. And he talked about how uh, JFK, his uncle, uh, signed an executive order to get all the troops out of Vietnam by 1965. Now, I'd never heard that. All right. So that was very interesting to me. So I thought, hmm. And then he was killed uh, three weeks later. Coincidence? I don't think so. So the things that killed Kennedy were the CIA, well, the people were the CIA and uh, uh, I think uh, Johnson, you know, then or soon to be President Johnson. I forgot his first name. What was Johnson's first name? Anyway, I don't know. Lyndon. There we go. Lyndon B. Lyndon B. Johnson. All right. So for so, but uh, so he becomes president. In fact, he was probably in on it. That's what uh, Roger Stone thinks. And Roger Stone's old enough to have been around when that happened. I was, I think, three years old when Kennedy was killed, although I still remember seeing the Zabruder films when I was a kid. So you, you really can't forget those. I have flashes of memory of seeing on the news uh, the pictures of Kennedy actually being killed. Uh, Zabruder was the guy that did a home movie. They'd broken it down by frame. Uh, you see it in all the, in the, it was used in the Kennedy assassination. It was used in the Oliver Stone film. It's public property now, so you can actually see it. Now, today, if it happened, it'd be, it'd be classified for, you know, 600 years. You'd never see it. But uh, in, in those days, they actually uh, did stuff. All right. Oh, Marco's got another website for me here. Uh, so, the, all right. So, yeah. So, the, the, the cost, Marco's got a thing on, on the cost of driving. It's not, it's not the driving. I'm trying to figure out how to tax electric cars. That's what I'm trying to figure out here. How do we tax electric cars, find an equivalent to the gasoline tax? That's what I'm looking to do. Um, yeah, I know, I know the cost comparison, but I want something specifically regarding taxes. In other words, how do I, how do I tax electric cars at a kilowatt hour or something like that, you know, equivalent to a gallon of gasoline? All right, let me get back to my article here. And so I looked it up. And I thought, okay, well, let's, let's find out what this executive order actually said and see if there's any decent articles on it. And I found this thing in, in the website, Who, What, Why. And so Who, What, Why um, is, this is an article from uh, James uh, K. Galbraith, who was a famous, no, wait a minute, John Kenneth, oh, I guess it was his nickname John. Anyway, John K. Galbraith was a famous economist. James K. Galbraith might be his brother, I'm guessing. Anyway, article is written uh, of September 26th of 2017. Maybe it was his son. Because J.K. Galbraith was, was old in the 60s. Anyway, it's got a picture here of Defense Secretary McNamara, General Maxwell Taylor, President Kennedy, January 25th, 1963. So that's the picture. So uh, it, it's fascinating. That Robert, uh, so we're finding out a ton of stuff from Robert Francis Kennedy that the government didn't want you to know about the assassination of uh, his uncle, John Kennedy. It's really quite interesting. Anyway, it says JFK has ordered full withdrawal from Vietnam, solid evidence. So James K. Galbraith wrote this in 2017, even though the executive order was signed in 1963. He says, the Ken Burns Lynn Novick documentary series on Vietnam, currently airing on PBS, that would be Public Broadcasting System, or as I call it, the socialist government media, uh, skates very lightly over one of the war's most contentious questions, did John F. Kennedy intend to pursue the fight or to pull out? And so they don't want you to know because they don't want you to know that a president actually wanted to end a war. So this is where Trump and, Kennedy and, uh, Trump and Kennedy have a lot in common. And when people, you know, talk about the greatest presidents, you know, of, of the 21st century, you know, they, or in the last, like, 100 years, they say, Ronald Reagan, Donald Trump. No. John F. Kennedy and Donald Trump were the greatest presidents. Reagan, 
is nowhere near as good as you think he is. Uh, he did not actually do the things that he talked about. Uh, he talked about him really well because he was an actor, and he gave people the impression he was actually doing stuff, but he signed some of the worst budgets. He, he signed the bill that uh, took away liability from Big Pharma for vaccines and caused, I don't know how many millions of deaths over the years in autism and obesity and uh, you know, um, asthma and all the other things that are happening out of kids, basically destroyed all future generations by taking liability away from Big Pharma. And they have enforced uh, vaccines. They make the schools, you know, enforce vaccines. The vaccines do not uh, do as, work as intended. I do not believe they're safe and effective. Gee, Greg, are you an anti-vaxxer? Of course I am. Couldn't you tell? Because I don't think they work. I think they're dangerous. I think even if you get the disease, the disease, you know, would have far less effect on you than the, quote, vaccine to, to stop the disease. Even if you get the disease, and the studies haven't been around for 100 years, they're still treatable. So why would you worry about it? You know, I had an MMR vaccine to prevent mumps, measles, and rubella. Well, guess what? I got the mumps. Didn't work, <laughs> you know? And the mumps were, they weren't fun, but they weren't cataclysmic. Actually, I did pretty well. I only had one mump. <laughs> you know, I had a mump on one side. I got over it. You know, I took standard medication, got over it in, you know, a couple of weeks. I was fine anyway. But uh, I don't have any lingering effects for life from a damaging vaccine. I got the mumps. I got over it. I'm not going to get them again. You know, that's what happens with childhood diseases. Back to the article. The second program alludes almost in passing to a withdrawal plan in 1962, conditioned on a then optimistic assessment of how the war was going. Yeah, see, the problem with Vietnam is they always told you things were great. You know, kind of like Ukraine. Ah, everything's great. We're winning. No, we're not. (laughs) Hundreds of thousands of people are dying. Uh, The military industrial complex is getting rich. And this war was easily preventable. It never had to happen. All we had to do was not make Ukraine part of NATO. No war. But they wanted a war. So we have a war. So in the same way they wanted a war in um, 1963 in Vietnam, they wanted a, they want a war in you know 2023 uh, in Ukraine. Same people, well they're older, but you know the same type of people, the neocons, the permanent war class, uh, and that was part of the reason that they got rid of Trump because they wanted their wars back. And, and Brandon, he doesn't care as long as he gets money and can drive his Corvette. He doesn't care how corrupt or how many people died. Doesn't matter to him. They don't care. You know, it, these people are always willing to fight, as, as uh, Colonel McGregor says, they're, they're willing to fight for the last Ukrainian life. <laughs> Isn't that special? Back to Vietnam. Uh, Vietnam is such a metaphor for this country. It's staggering. Anyway, it says, but it also reports, this is back to the, uh, the National Socialist Media Program, uh, it also reports Kennedy's qualms expressed to a friend as, quote, we don't have a prayer of staying in Vietnam. Those people hate us. They are going to throw our asses out of there at any point but I can't give up that territory to the communists and get the American people to reelect me. So yeah, it's an interesting dilemma. So, so he can't appear to be you know, weak in front of communists, but he knows we're not going to stay there. So, so how, do you, how do you do that? Well, understand that Vietnam was split in 1954. And when you split a country, you guarantee a war. You just do, right? So look, look at Korea. Korea has been a per- perpetual state of war since 1950. The war, they got a ceasefire, but you know, there's still war conditions. Uh, the Korean War started, uh, well, here's, here's what happened. World War II ends in 1945. The U.N.'s created, and they promptly split Korea uh, into North and South. And by 1950, we're at war with Communist China, which the State Department put in power by supporting Mao Zedong. So our State Department gave us Communist China. So that's why we should get rid of the State Department. We, you know, do the embassies and the consulates and, and stay the hell out of foreign policy. Because everything they do is a disaster, like Hillary, who sent uh, guns through Benghazi, you know, to ISIS to overthrow Assad in Syria. And we know how that turned out. Anyway, so 
meanwhile back at, uh, at the war here. Uh, so this, this whole permanent, you know, these dangerous people, I mean, they're incredibly dangerous. They're willing to kill. They're willing to kill a president to maintain their profits. So uh, this is why Trump has to be so well protected. And also Robert Francis Kennedy has to be so well protected. I think they should protect, you know, look out for each other. And I, I, I pretty much guarantee they're talking behind the scenes. I just can't prove it. Nobody can, because unless you talk to them, and they'd probably, you know, say, well, you can't talk about this. And I'm like, oh, okay, fine. So if I found out about it and either Trump or RFK said you can't talk about it, I wouldn't talk about it. I'm pretty good about that. I believe in, in off the record. You know, it's an interesting concept reviewable. All right. Anyway, so it says, so, so how do, you, how do you, you not give territory to the communists when the State Department is creating communists, you know, communist China, uh, so that you don't look weak in front of communism uh, in a position that Kennedy never should have been in and wouldn't have been in if the State Department under Truman hadn't given, you know, China to the communists and instead supported the nationalists under Chiang Kai-shek. Interesting possibilities. So it's interesting. We, we, we funded our, uh, our enemies, Japan and, and Germany, to rebuild. We didn't fund our ally, Russia, to rebuild. Uh, we uh, <laughs> split North uh, Korea into two nations which went to war. 1953 is a ceasefire in Korea. 1954, guess who got split? Vietnam, guaranteeing war. So one of the ways they used to create wars in these countries was to split them in the north and south. I think Yemen is split. They are at war. Uh, Northern Ireland and Ireland, they, they've been kind of at war between the British and the Irish. Um, Germany, you know, East Germany, West Germany, you know, they, they uh, communist East Germany versus, you know, modern free West Germany. Now they've, they've unified and they haven't had any problems. So they unified and became a, a, a Western socialist democracy. Um, Vietnam unified and became a communist country. But what's, what's interesting, interesting is that Vietnam listens to us. You know, we, Vietnam has always listened to this show ever since I went on the air about five years ago. I find that fascinating. All right, so let's see what's, uh, what's going on with uh, Mark Reese. In the Netherlands, cars are taxed by weight. Considering electric cars are heavier, that sounds fair. Yeah, they are heavier. They're also more damaging. Uh, and what are you going to do with the batteries? Then he says, propaganda is working great. People think we are winning. Yeah, we're not winning. We're not winning in Ukraine. We, well, actually, if you listen to, uh, Mark, if you listen to One American News, um, Dan Ball's report with uh, Colonel Doug McGregor, who has been on my show, uh, reported very clearly that Ukraine is losing badly. And, of course, they're losing badly. There, there, there's no other possible option but for them to lose badly because Russia's not going to lose. You know, any more than we would lose if some small country uh, was on our border and uh, we considered our territory. You know, and it, it's like China and Taiwan. China can take Taiwan anytime they want. What they can't do is occupy it, but they can take it. You know, but that's why we should give uh, Taiwan, you know, five million AR-15s to make life for the Chinese miserable if they ever tried to take it. But that's just me. All right. So anyway, so Kennedy's dilemma we've already talked about. You know, he he wants to be tough on the communists, but not stay in Vietnam. Then he says, from this point, the program moves quickly to events in Saigon to the November first, nineteen sixty-three South Vietnamese coup, and to Kennedy's own assassination three weeks later. So they never really addressed the point that Kennedy wanted us out of Vietnam, which is interesting. Well. Who, who runs uh, National Public Radio? Government socialists. Government socialists want war. They don't care at what cost. So they're not going to talk about a president, uh, it, although they laud JFK as, as, as a wonderful president. They're not going to talk about the wonderful things he wanted to do, like uh, get us out of Vietnam, um, get rid of the Federal Reserve and put us back on, on uh, a silver uh, and gold uh, standard and other things he wanted. For those reasons, they killed him. Now, uh, I'd be interested to see what happens today. Today is a little different. In those days, they didn't have the media coverage. Everybody didn't have a cell phone. Uh, the Zabruder films are just a fluke. Anyway, 
article says, but this presentation is highly misleading. In fact, Kennedy's feelings about Vietnam went beyond mere qualms. He had already reached a decision and acted on it. In National Security Action Memorandum 263, let me say that again for the record, National Security Action Memorandum 263, dated October 11th, 1963, was that the Cuban Missile Crisis? Or was that the year before? I think it was the year before. Things happened in October. October and April is when like, everything, all hell breaks loose, it seems. Anyway, October 11, 1963, Kennedy articulated his decision to withdraw all U.S. military forces. That's the, 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 the word, all. All U.S. military forces from Vietnam by the end of 1965. Well, I heard Robert Francis Kennedy say the beginning of 1965, so there's a little bit of a confusion, a little bit of discrepancy there. Then he says, with the withdrawal to be completed after the 1964 election. Hmm. This was the formal policy of the United States government on the day he died. Well, in other words, the day Kennedy was assassinated. And then they have evidence of JFK's decision to withdraw Vietnam. The evidence is massive and categorical. Categorical. It includes Robert McNamara's instructions to the May 1963 SecDef, that would be Secretary of Defense, SecDef conference in Honolulu to develop the withdrawal plan. So they're already working on the plans, right? Then it's a, a detailed account of the McNamara Taylor, that would be Maxwell Taylor, the general, mission to Vietnam that returned with the withdrawal plan drafted in their absence in the Pentagon by a team under Kennedy's direct control. Hmm. An audio tape of the discussion at the White House that led to the approval of NSAM, National Security Action Memorandum 263, which implemented the plan. This audio was released by the Assassination Records Review Board uh, at, at my request. Uh, that would be the person Galbraith's request. Well, that's interesting. Then it says the precise instructions for withdrawal delivered by Maxwell Taylor, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, to his fellow chiefs on October 4th, 1963, in a memorandum that remained classified until 1997. That's why the article took a while to come out. Taylor wrote, here we go. On October 2nd, the president approved recommendations on on military matters contained in the report of the Secretary of Defense and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. The following actions derived from these recommendations are directed. All planning will be directed toward preparing RVN, I guess uh, those are like the forces, uh, for the withdrawal of all U.S. special assistance units, <laughs> the interesting euphemism, and personnel by the end of calendar year 1965. The U.S. comprehensive plan, Vietnam, will be revised to bring it into consonance, this is an interesting word, consonance, C-O-N-S-O-N-A-N-C-E, uh, with these objectives, and to reduce planned residual post-1965 MAAG, not sure what that is, uh, strengths to approximately pre-insurgency levels. Execute the plan to withdraw 1,000 U.S. military personnel by the end of 63. Wow. Check on live chat. Okay. No one's calling up Marcos last thing. All right. This is false narratives. Why do so few Americans know that President Kennedy, a few weeks before his assassination, had decided to get the U.S. military out and avert what would later become the quagmire of the full-scale American war in Vietnam? Well, for the same reason that uh, they don't know about uh, all of Trump's uh, claims to keep us out of war. To good presidents keep you out of war. Bad presidents put you in war to support their, their dictators. Anyway, he also says, uh, because for three decades following these events, many historians adopted a false narrative, which assumed an absolute continuity in policy between Kennedy and Johnson. By no coincidence, this was the line of government at the time. Yeah, they wanted to tell you that, well, Kennedy was in favor of full involvement. So was Johnson. Now it's a bunch of BS. Kennedy wanted out. Johnson wanted to stay in. Then it says, but a small minority of, his, minority of historians, beginning with Peter Dale Scott in 1972, followed by John Newman in his 1992 book, JFK and Vietnam, were able to tease out the truth from the record. 
Their work was supported by the key witness, uh, Robert McNamara, in his 1995 memoir, In Retrospect. Hmm. That was the name of the title, In Retrospect. The historian Frederick Logeval, or Logeval, N-O-G-E-V-A-L-L, Logeval, Logeval, I don't know how you pronounce it, L-O-G-E-V-A-L-L, has provided a chapter to the companion volume for the Vietnam War. The Vietnam War, an, an intimate history by Jeffrey C. Ward, Burns collaborator, uh, and it says Logeval uh, does not acknowledge the withdrawal plan, although he gives a, the following personal view. He says the better argument that is that JFK most likely would not have Americanized the war, but instead would have opted for some form of disengagement, presumably uh, by way of a face-saving negotiated settlement. Yeah, it's interesting that, that Trump has said uh, that we would never have gotten into war if he was, he was president. Well, that's why they didn't want him as president. They, they, they wanted the war. Got to be at war somewhere. Doesn't matter where. Iraq, Afghanistan, Ukraine, Sudan. Got to be at war somewhere. That's the whole point of these people, because wars make money. You know, so one of the best ways out of war is by a constitutional amendment to end Congress borrowing money, because you can't wage these wars without borrowing money. So you end the borrowing, we're going to end a lot of our stupid wars. Well, we'll still have money for real wars. Well, real wars are going to be very short. And as the uh, national debt is paid down, we'll have, uh, and the interest is paid down, we'll have more money for defense anyway. This is an improvement, this is back to the article, over the long-standing official story, but it's still misleading. Logeval states that withdrawal theorists have made their judgments hastily with evident reluctance based on scant hints in the documentary record. In fact, the record is rich and decisive. The issue has been debated many times. I would refer readers to seeking a full account uh, to the second... All right, he's got these, like, dragging on here. Here we go. So it says, I reproduced the letter to New York Review of Books dated December 6, 2007. It says, a presidential decision requires a plan. The elements of a decision must include previous planning, reflected in military documents in this case, discussion of the plan, a decision to accept or reject the plan, reflected in a decision document, and steps to implement the plan. In the case of JFK and withdrawal from Vietnam, all these elements are present, which is interesting. So we have records of the 8th Secretary uh, of Defense Conference in Honolulu, May 6, 1963. All right, so this is just more evidence corroborating what they've already said. See if we can find you something new here before I... That's basically it. A lot more stuff. This article keeps going on. Basically, Kennedy signed an executive order to get us out. Okay, And they don't want you to know that. In the same way things are censored today, you don't know how bad the war is in Ukraine. Because they don't want you to know. You do if you listen to One American News and Robert and uh, Doug McGregor. You know exactly how bad the war is. You know, and that idiot, uh, Caitlin, what's her name, uh, who had Trump on CNN. So, well, don't you believe in winning? Well, it's kind of a stupid question. You know, I mean, and he should he could have said, well, how many Ukrainians are you willing to uh, die so that you can say that we won? And the chances of winning are impossible anyway. You don't win that war. Anyway, Mark was a lot closer to it being over in Europe. Europe doesn't seem too concerned. I don't see Germany or France or Spain or England. You know, yeah, they're sending stuff to Ukraine, but all their tanks are getting blown up. You know, I don't see them panicking. There's no, there's no European, you know, emergency blockade, you know, uh, you know huge security measures. I mean, Marco, has, it, has anything changed? Has anything changed over, over the Netherlands since uh, this whole Ukraine thing got started last February? Or a year ago, February. Things have been going on over a year. A lot of people have died. 
oh, Brandon just said another hundred million dollars. So again, we could have funded so many things here. It's really quite uh, quite staggering what we could have funded, but didn't. All right, um, there's more I was going to talk about. Let me see what else. I'm going to take a break here in a second and do some stuff. Oh, there was yeah. Let me let me cover this and I'll get into uh, more of the articles and things. Again, we've got two hours and then we have a guest. Um, back in 70s, 80s, and 90s, uh, PBS, Public Broadcasting System, or in other words, National Socialist Media. Uh, that would be NSM, <laughs> National Socialist Media, government-controlled media, uh, had some really interesting shows. They used to have panel discussions, and I forgot what the name of the show was, um, but they'd have, you know, um, Judge Scalia from the Supreme Court. You'd have some of the journalists, you know, Barbara Walters. You'd have a professor from somewhere. You'd have an economist, John Kenneth Galbraith. You'd have, you'd have like the top, you'd have the smartest people in the country on this panel representing you know, academia, industry, business, government, uh, different things like that, <laughs> lobbyists. Um, and they would talk, and it was great. And I'd love to get something like that here created with Action Radio um, because we don't have that anymore. You don't hear from the experts. You don't hear anything about the propaganda. And so that was a great show. But there's another show called The Advocates, which I had forgotten about. I'm going to look this up. I'm going to right down here look up The Advocates. A little notes to myself. It's going to be a busy weekend. Um, I, I heard... Someone played on the news, probably one American news, Advocates Show. I'll notice myself show. There we go. All right. Um, so the advocates basically were two lawyers who would argue or, or, or question a guest. And one time they had a guest, Joe Biden, when he was 29 years old. He'd just been elected to the Senate. And under, under questioning from one of the lawyers, he admits he's a political prostitute that takes money to advocate whatever views the donors tell him to advocate. He says, look, if you're going to be in politics in Washington, you've got to take money. You've got to take money for your campaign. And if you take money, you've got to do what the donors tell you to do with it, you know, tell, you what, tell you what to do. So basically, he says, yeah, I'm willing to be a political prostitute and uh, carry the water and you know, get the money and stay in power. So in very early in his career, he actually admits to all the things that uh, he later did by being completely corrupt. It's really quite fascinating. So that's on YouTube. So just go to YouTube and look, and look up uh, Joe Biden, you know, political prostitute, and you'll find it. But it's got some great admissions anyway. So this TV show called The Advocates, which had him on. It's on my Facebook page, too, for all of those that are uh, uh, friends of mine. You can go to my Facebook page. But, or just look it up on YouTube. It's, it's really fascinating. Anyway, so, so The Advocates show on NPR simulates a trial. Uh, and, again, they had Biden as a witness. I'm just looking at my notes right here. Yeah. Yeah, so, so he admits what we all know, that if you're going to run for office, um, it takes a lot of money. And uh, you, the people that are going to give you a lot of money – are going to have strings attached. And so this is why I say nobody should run for office that needs to have political contributions, which leaves basically Donald Trump on the Republican side and Robert Francis Kennedy on the Democrat side, because they're both rich. Isn't it interesting that the most independent people, the people that are most in favor of Archie, yeah, they've got different ways of going about it, but both Robert Kennedy and Donald Trump love this country. Uh, and they're rich enough to be independent of donors. And so the only two people I would consider for the presidency in the country today, uh, of those that are actually thinking of it, is uh, Donald Trump and Robert Kennedy. And we're, we're going to check on Vivek Ramaswamy, whatever his name is. So Vivek, we're going to see if we can get you on the show here sometime. You can tell us what you think. But uh, right now, it's RFK and Trump, and I hope they get together. If uh, RFK wants to be vice president, that'd be cool. Uh, if RFK wants uh, takes, uh, I think he'd be better off though, as Secretary of Health and Human Services, so he'd actually have a real office. That would be fascinating. 
All right, got some articles, got some different things. I'm going to play some uh, stuff now, and then I'll come back. What time is it now? 7.47? Oh, it's an airplane. 7.47. We'll take our first break. Anyway, i got a great guest in the third hour, uh, A.R. Garcia. You know, we're going to talk guns uh, with her and rights and everything else like that. Back in a little bit. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stores Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Grace Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gracecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gracecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, 
social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. All right, let's get back and kind of wake us up a little more news theme stuff. Back in the newsroom here, it never ceases to amaze me how many stations report exactly the same thing. You know, if you look at the news, any any news, local news, national news, world news, it didn't matter. It was all on Trump's indictment, uh, and then they didn't cover Trump's speech afterwards. <laughs> that was pretty much the news. So, so in fact, one America comment on this too is really pretty funny. So they talked about how they they had Trump's motorcade, they had Trump's airplane, they had Trump going to court. Uh, I don't know if they showed him pleading not guilty to all the stupid uh, made up charges, but. Uh, then, then he made a speech at uh, uh, his New Jersey, whatever that place is called, <laughs> you know, uh, after, after all the ridiculous stuff that went on. And uh, Del Mar or whatever it was called. Uh, it's not Mar-a-Lago, that's Florida. Anyway, so he made a brilliant speech talking about uh, all the persecutions and all the witch hunts and uh, all the things that they're trying to do to him. And he talked about breaking the seal, which is interesting. In other words, uh, the, the gloves are off. You know, it's like, okay, you, you, uh, you know, we had, a, we had a certain standard where we didn't do things like arrest, you know, people that were uh, uh, running against the, the, the folks that were currently in government. And I said, that's gone. Are they broken? You know, and that, that, I'll actually look at what that broken the seal thing means. Probably do that for Monday. Well, I'll do it right now. Well, let me find out. So when Trump said breaking the seal, what exactly did he mean? Because I found that fascinating. And so that's just one of those interesting little uh, uh, tidbits. So, so what did Trump, let me just do a little quick search here. This is how spontaneous the show is. I literally make it up as I go along. What did Trump mean by, let's see, quotation marks, breaking the seal? Question mark and quotations, and here we go. So Gorka, on his show, Sebastian Gorka, tried to say something, but um, I'm not sure exactly what that meant. So four days ago, the seal uh, for going after your political opposition as the U.S. president is broken. Trump vowed Monday as he heads to Miami for a Tuesday court appearance on an unprecedented federal indictment of a former commander-in-chief, Trump wrote in a Truth Social post, now that the seal is broken. Uh, this is from uh, Newsmax. So it's, it's, this is what he meant. I thought that's what he meant. I, th- I thought that's what he meant, that the seal is broken means, uh, hey, all the bets are off. You know, you, you know, says, yeah, I'll, let me read you the article. Eric Mack, M-A-T-K, Monday, June 12th. This would be before uh, the arraignment. So it's the 12th. No, the 12th of this Monday, I guess it was Tuesday. So it's the day before. 
Uh, this is the gloves. It's exactly what I said. Here we go. So this is going after a presidential political opponent has consequences. It says, and I always say former president, you know, I'll just say President Donald Trump because he's the current president, even though they don't acknowledge it. So current president Donald Trump. And now he says the gloves will come off the seal in quotation marks for going after your political opposition. As the U S president is broken, Trump vowed Monday as he heads to Miami for a Tuesday court appearance on an unprecedented, in other words, illegal <laughs> federal indictment of a former commander in chief. Trump wrote in, uh, well, excuse me, current commander in chief. Trump wrote in a true social post now that the seal is broken, in addition to closing the border and removing all of the criminal elements that have illegally invaded our country, making America energy independent and even dominant again. I immediately, there he goes on. All right, so anyway, the seal is broken. So that's it. That's really all he said about it is that, okay, gloves are off. You know, the sort of genteel. Um, you know, appearance of, of not, you know, going after everything full force. You made the rules. That's it. All right. So change of subjects again, back in the newsroom. Um, I found this interesting too. This is intellectual takeout. And this is one of my, my favorite uh, uh, sources for information talking about the founding fathers on education uh, and education today. And so why was it the founders were so brilliant? Uh, even the Civil War fighters, your average Civil War soldier, barefoot and with a rifle, uh, had a lot more knowledge than the kids today graduating college, it seems. Anyway, it says the Founding Fathers, uh, and this is by uh, uh, Jordan Alexander, June 14th. So this would have been two days ago. Uh, and, and he says, or her, she says, I'm not sure Jordan's one of those um, ambidextrous names. He <laughs> says, I was recently looking through intellectual takeouts, archives, and once again stumbled upon Annie Holworth's article, Middle School Reading Lists, 100 Years Ago Versus Today. Annie Holquist used to do the uh, education column for intellectual takeout. And so her article, Middle School, yeah, there we go. Annie's comparison of how reading lists have changed reveals how students today aren't held to as high a standard as students 100 years ago. And Annie's commentary got me curious about how else education has changed through the decades, particularly since America's founding. What did the founding fathers, many of whom had a homeschool educational upbringing, think about education? And how does American education compare today? Founding fathers versus parents in education. This is with declining public school enrollment, the left-wing agenda in public schools, and the rise of, of homeschooling, parents' rights, and authority is a hot topic right now. Home, uh, however, over 200 years ago, James Wilson, who signed the Declaration of Independence, helped draft the Constitution, and served on the Supreme Court, spoke in no uncertain terms on the topic. He says it is the duty, it is the duty of parents to maintain their children decently and according to their circumstances, to protect them according to the dictates of prudence, and to educate them according to the suggestions of a judicious and zealous record for their usefulness, their respectability, and their happiness. In other words, you can't be happy if you don't have an education, you know, because you're, you're stupid. You don't know what's going on. And uh, you can't certainly serve your community with that one either. But where do you get it? That's the question. And then the headline is, or the, the next category today, parents and education. While James Wilson thought parents had the ultimate authority and responsibility over their children's education, many parents today play little to no role in their children's schooling. And any role they do play is increasingly frowned upon by many education officials and teachers. As Secretary of Education Miguel Cardona, someone I don't know, tweeted, teachers know what is best for their kids because they are with them every day. We must trust teachers. Well, that's a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> teachers do what they're indoctrinated to do, and they teach what they're told to teach. That's how they keep the jobs. 
So that, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. Anyway, it says, and if Cardona's tweet leaves any doubt that parents aren't welcome in public education, we only need to look at a quote from a fifth grade teacher who showed an LGBTQ film to her students, or as we say here, LGBTQ, LGBTQPMS. Anyway, it says uh, parental rights are gone when your child is in the public school system because there are students talking about these things. There we go. This doesn't make sense. Parents are gone when your child is in public school. So anyway, finding fathers in religious education. Next topic. Over the last few decades, Americans have increasingly become less religious. But given the religious founding of the country, it's not surprising that the founding fathers had strong opinions on the importance of religion. As Governor Morris uh, Penman of the Constitution said, for avoiding the extremes of despotism or anarchy, the only ground of hope must be on the morals of the people. I believe that religion is the only solid basis of morals and that morals are the only possible support of a free government. Therefore, education should teach the precepts of religion and the duties of man towards God. Yet, you notice there's no like separation of church and state? That's not what it was about. It was separating the government from church. That's the separation. Not the church from the state, but the state from the church, really, uh, and the state from the relationship of people to the church and to God. That's the separation. So in other words, the state stays out of religion. The state does not put up a wall uh, between religion and the people. Just the opposite. Religion and the people put up a wall to government. This is this religious education. Uh, most of us would likely be surprised to see anything resembling the duties of man towards God being taught today in the public schools. In place of this moral education, ideologies like critical race theory are taking over. And the few feeble connections between education and religious and moral teachings are disappearing. For instance, in Minnesota, the state is moving to take away funding from students who wish to attend religious higher education institutions. Wasn't that special? Then we got a quote here from Alucia Hitz, who explains, or Heights. Since 1985, the Minnesota government has funded thousands of sophomore, junior, and senior high school students who are enrolled in post-secondary courses. Given the current legislation in the Post-Secondary Enrollment Options Act, PSEO, high schoolers can enroll in college classes from a variety of eligible institutions without paying out of pocket, allowing them to jumpstart their degree and lessen future college debt. Well, that makes sense. It makes sense. That the, that's what the logic is. It doesn't make sense that we're paying students to do it. Anyway. Says as it currently stands, the PSO Act, PSEO Act, defines eligible institutions broadly, mostly restricting government funding to high school students who attend accredited colleges and, and universities. However, dot, 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 new post legislation qualifies the definition saying an eligible institution must not require a faith statement during the application process. Oh, well, that's interesting. No religious schools. So, talk about, so, in other words, there is no separation of church and state. The state is outlawing religion in school uh, and, and or even applying for it or paying for it. it says, Under this new reg- legislation, high school students looking for college credit would not be able to attend many seriously religious universities. Secular, secular universities, just like religious ones, do promote a worldview. They just do not always do so as overtly or transparently as religious institutions. Under Minnesota's proposed religion regulation, colleges that carefully and intentionally lay out their worldview uh, in other words, uh, would be penalized while states and non, state and non-religious institution, institutions will be rewarded. Huh. Yeah, interesting. Let me, uh, I'm going to hold this up for a second and play you some, another couple things. We'll play something interesting to sort of tide us over. Huh. Let's play the new normal church and grocery store. <laughs> it's time for this, and then I'll get right back to the article. Hello, America. 
Looks like millions of you are in states where the governor dictator has said that food is essential, but God is not. Fortunately, we have a solution for you. We've combined your essential food shopping with a non-essential religious experience. Being in the same building and being completely intertwined, you can't do one without the other. Welcome to the New Normal Church and Grocery Store. Yes, the New Normal Church and Grocery Store is the first business of its kind to bring God conveniently into your food shopping aisle. Think of this as food for your body and food for your soul. No social distance or group size restrictions here. Upon entering the New Normal Church and Grocery Store, you will pick up your shopping cart. You can then choose from an optional mask with a Star of David, a cross, a crescent moon, a sun for you Shintos, a statue of Buddha, and for you agnostics, a question mark. Headsets are available to place sermons throughout your shopping experience. Some of the favorites include, I'm going to heaven and you're not, die infidel die, oi, what not to say during the bris, and that butterfly may be your grandfather. To orient you to the store, the kosher Jewish deli is by the western wall. A simple shalom gets you service, but be prepared to haggle. For you Muslims, out of courtesy, we put the halal butcher by the eastern wall. Sharia store policies require the wearing of both a burqa and a mask, just to be safe. Protestants will find the Wonder Bread, hot dogs, and steak in the central aisles, where all the best-dressed customers can also be found. When you notice the smell of incense, you are nearing the Buddhist section, which is all vegetarian. For Catholics, communion is available in the bakery department by the wafers near the red wine section. Agnostics should go directly to customer service because you folks have no idea what you want anyway. Be sure to offer your confessional to the checker on the way out if you so choose. Please don't forget to first pull down the blind on the plexiglass screen. And if you require ministering, you can talk to your bagger as they push your groceries to your car because all our baggers are cross-trained in theology. The new normal church and grocery store, your combination alternatives to the separation of church by the state. Yeah, that was made during the uh, lockdowns uh, when they said that you couldn't go to church, but you could go to uh, uh, shop for food, which uh, made no sense. <laughs> you know, that you should be able to do anything you want. Uh, in a free society, and uh, certainly you cannot lock down the healthy people. And so I made that as a, a satirical response to the, the government absurdity by being absurd myself. Although it would be kind of interesting to go to a church in a grocery store when I think about it. Hmm, yeah, get some incense, get my produce from the Buddhist section, you know, get to get the wafers <laughs> from the, the bakery aisle, you know, take communion, and, uh, and then go off to the, the, the halal butcher for my Middle Eastern meat and then the, the Jewish deli. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is just funny. This kind of stuff cracks me up. All right, so this article is a little bit off base, I think. And, and, and sometimes and people are like, gee, Greg, don't you read all your articles ahead of time? Uh, no. <laughs> I read some of them, parts of them, and I think, oh, this might be interesting. Because otherwise, I'd, I'd be sitting around reading all day, and I don't, I've got too much else going on. So some articles are good, and some articles aren't. If they aren't, I'll criticize them, and that's pretty valid, too. So this article says, next, Founding Fathers' history, history in Education. History is another area of education that the Founding Fathers spoke on. Noah Webster, a prolific writer on everything from politics to spelling, wrote on the importance of learning history, says every child in America should be acquainted with his own country. Yeah, absolutely. He should read books that furnish him with ideas that will be useful excuse me, to him in life and practice. As soon as he opens his lips, he should rehearse the history of his own country. He, he should lisp the praise of, the, of liberty. And, though, and of those institutions, oh, excuse me, illustrious heroes and statesmen who have wrought a revolution in her favor. Yeah, in other words, celebrate the Founding Fathers and uh, our independence. Then it says, today, history and education. In stark contrast to Noah Webster's vision 
for historic education, the nation's report card does not paint a flattering portrait of American students' knowledge of their nation's history. In 2022, only 13% of the tested students were proficient in U.S. history. Let me say that again. Only 13% of tested students were proficient in U.S. history. And scores have been only declining since 2014. It seems... Well, wasn't Obama then uh, president? Wow, what a surprise. Then it says, it seems that it's rare for a student today to be acquainted with his own country. That's the scariest thing. Then it talks about the future of education. Last little paragraph here. It's clear that education today falls short of what the founding fathers envisioned as a well-rounded quality instruction for the nation's youth. And with Governor Morris saying that religion is the only solid base of morals and that morals are the only possible support of a free government, it's no wonder why our freedoms in America are under attack today. Fortunately, the number of parents deciding to homeschool over the past few years has skyrocketed, allowing those parents to again take control over what their kids are learning. If these engaged parents can teach their children the history of this great nation and instill in their children the precepts of religion and the duties of man towards God, then perhaps our free government can survive. Well, why do we send kids to school? Why don't we just have parents educate their kids, you know, and then find tutors and find extra people for, for different subjects and things like that, you know? Do we need, uh, well, first of all, would, well, how do I want to phrase this? Would we be better off without government schools? I think absolutely. I think absolutely we'd be hugely better off without government schools. That's why when they closed down, I, I, I said that we should keep them closed. All right, what else is going on in the news? Let me see if I can really get you upset here. A couple of interesting things happening. One, and this is from Information Liberation. Um, we've got, yeah, top of the hour, I have a guest. Um, needless to say, Fridays when I don't have guests or any day when I have more than one hour free, I think it gets a little tedious. It might get tedious for you. I know it gets tedious for me. I don't like just sitting and reading articles. I just don't. I'd much rather have the interaction. You know, I've been over the bills. Uh, people know where I stand on most things. Um, and so, uh, but I still want a show to do because you never know who's going to call or who's going to join us. But quite honestly, uh, I'd rather not sit around reading articles. Uh, I'd much rather talk to people about interesting topics. And so when we get our guests and our regular reporters back, I think things will flow a lot more smoothly. But, you know, let's get to these slower times and away we go. Information liberation. Biden regime offers path to citizenship to foreigners enlisting in U.S. military and recruiting crisis. So in other words, they, they, they destroyed the military. They have a recruiting crisis. And now rather than fix the military, they'd rather bring in illegals to uh, serve in our, in our military and then allow them to be citizens. This is another backdoor amnesty. This is a way to bring millions of people into the country uh, and make them citizens while at the same time taking Americans and, and disenfranchising them as much as possible. So you've got, uh, you know, death to Americans by fentanyl, by abortion, uh, by criminals in the streets, uh, by intimidation, by fear. So Americans are basically being tortured and killed in our own country. Illegal aliens, on the other hand, don't have to have vaccines. They can uh, waltz in. They get free health care, free accommodations, free hotels, free food, and they get free college. And now they can join the military and get their, their citizenship that way, breeding an entire nation of elites who don't give a damn about this country. That's the whole goal. That's, that is treason <laughs> right there, bringing in an entire population of people that don't care about the country so it'll change and doing it willfully and purposely. That's treason. Anyway, this is Biden regime, or as I would call it, the illegal Brandon regime, offers path to citizenship to foreigners enlisting in U.S. military. This is by Chris Menahan, M-E-N-A-H-A-N, Information Liberation, June 12th. So two days ago. Two days ago? Yeah. They say the Biden regime, or as I say, illegal Brandon, 
is offering a pathway to citizenship to immigrants living in the U.S. It says an occupied country needs an occupation army. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. We are occupied. We are an occupied country occupied by, you know, probably up to 15 million illegals right now. Right? And so the, and the, they are, in fact, an army. So they are bringing in a foreign army of illegals to, to uh, force the government's will by crime and threats and everything else. Then it says from the AP uh, comes this, join the military, become a U.S. citizen. Uncle Sam wants you and vous tu. Uh, that's, that's French. Vous and tu, which is you and you. <laughs> Uncle Sam wants you, you, and you. Then it says when Esmita, Esmita Spudes Bidari was a young girl in Nepal, she dreamed of being in the military, but that wasn't a real option in her country. Well, that's up to them to solve that. Last week, she raised her right hand and took an oath to join the U.S. Army uh, Reserves, thanks in part to a recruiter in Dallas, who also is Nepalese, and reached out to her through an online group. Oh, that's interesting. So, so people are just bringing their own country folks in here. Then this is Bill Bidari, who heads uh, to basic training in August. is just the latest in a growing number of legal migrants. Well, if they're legal in the country, that's okay. But I don't think they're, they're – I don't necessarily think – well, it's a good question. While legal migrants is different than legal immigrants. Let me, let me, let me, let me take a look at that again. So what's this uh, – let me just take a look at this news source again here. Information liberation. Mm, probably a liberal source. I, that's what I, when I – see, I, I got the buzzwords, right? You pick up on the buzzwords, you know, what, you know what they're talking about, right? So the buzzword here is legal migrant. Okay, so, the, so migrants are people that come here, work for a while, and go home. So anybody that intends to stay here is not a migrant. That's the first thing. Immigrants are people that lawfully come into the country after they've been invited because they applied to come here at an embassy or a consulate. An illegal alien is someone across the border pretending to be here for asylum or for whatever other reason. Those are illegal aliens. So basically what they're saying is illegal aliens enlisting in the U.S. military uh, as it more aggressively seeks out immigrants. Well, if it's not an immigrant, that's okay because those people are illegal. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about Brandon's illegals offering a fast track to citizenship uh, to those who sign up. Well, if you're a legal immigrant, you've already on, you're already on the fast track to citizenship, right? A legal immigrant has permanent resident status for the purpose of becoming a citizen. That's why we grant people immigrant status. So they don't need the military to get it. I mean, they can join the military. That's no problem. But they don't need it for their citizenship. They've already been invited to get citizenship by being here as a legal immigrant, not an asylum seeker. Not a refugee, not any of these other stupid things that are coming in at us because they're, they're not coming in for their intended purpose. They're just coming in so they can walk across the border. Then it's struggling to overcome recruiting shortfalls. The Army and the Air Force have been bolstering their marketing to entice legal residents, they say now, to enlist. Well, I don't, yeah, I don't know if they're legal or not, you know, uh, to enlist, putting out pamphlets, working social media and broadening their outreach, particularly in inner cities. Oh, one key element is the use of recruiters with similar backgrounds to these particular recruits. In other words, same nationality. So where is their allegiance? Where is the allegiance of somebody that comes to this country for the purpose of taking tax dollars and either sending it home or living off uh, the work of uh, American taxpayers, having them pay for their lifestyle? People don't come here for a better life. They come here for people to pay for them to have a better life. Right? That's the thing. And so these people, by serving in the military, that means they're, they're going to be citizens. That means that they can you know, then sign up for welfare and benefits and uh, be just fine and have lots of kids and have those kids be mistakenly given American citizenship and bring in more people. That's how you turn your country into uh, you know, total wasteland. And that's the problem. We've got to take the Americans that are left here <laughs> you know, and fix this. 
Anyway, it says, it's one thing to hear about the military from locals, but something else to hear from your fellow brother from the country you're from. In other words, we're, we're basically building a, a foreign mercenary military with no allegiance to this country because they're from this country. Why would you base your military on people from outside the country? Why would you do that? Why would you, why would you bring in all these different people and offer them you know, money <laughs> you know, for, for serving in the military? It's basically, you know, and then say, okay, you can be a citizen, which means you can get benefits. That's what they're hearing. As soon as they hear citizenship, they hear free college, you know, benefits, food stamps, free housing. Yeah, America, great country, wonderful place. Right? Yeah, okay. Huh, the military, it says, has had success in recruiting legal immigrants, which they aren't, particularly among those seeking a job, education benefits, and training. In other words, people who want something, and they want you to pay for it. That's what this is all about. This is about wanting you to pay for their education. And if they're willing to trade a little army time, you think these folks are going to go into combat? And if they do, you think they're going to fight to the death for America? Hell no. I bet you none of these people get in a combat position. They're just going to be in the military to uh, get the citizenship to bring in other people and put them under citizenship. Huh. This, is, this, is, this is the funniest last line here. It says, but they also require additional security uh, screening and more help filling out forms, particularly those who are less proficient in English. So you've got, you got uh, illegals crossing our border, Joining the military, you don't even speak English. You know, have no loyalty to this country, have no concept of freedom, have no idea about the Constitution, Declaration of Independence, or anything else like that. Those are the folks that supposedly can defend our country and our, our rights and our, our, our way of life and everything else. Hell no. Then it says they're so desperate for cannon fodder for their wars with China, Russia, and Iran, they even lifted the COVID vaccine mandates and largely abandoned their countering extremism working group aimed at purging extremists from the ranks. That's, that's funny also. It says the Biden regime also began offering – all right, let me, the last lines are, are – oh, I forgot this last line. It was hidden in the picture. The Biden regime, in other words, illegal Brandon, also began offering free sex chain surgeries and opposite-sex hormones for active military and veterans shortly before taking office. Well, that's ridiculous. This is they're so desperate for cannon fodder. You know cannon fodder is? That's what these call World War I soldiers that would run out into the field with a bayonet and get blown up with an artillery shell. Cannon fodder. So desperate for cannon fodder for their wars with China, Russia, and Iran, they even lifted COVID vaccine mandates. So in other words, the illegals don't, need to, don't have to get COVID shots, but the Americans do. Oh, that's an interesting standard. And largely abandoned their countering extremism working group aimed at purging extremists from their ranks. So they'll purge American extremists, in other words, you know, white male Christians, but they'll keep their foreign mercenaries who don't believe in this country and pay them to become citizens so they can put numbers on the board. Who wrote this? Header image by U.S. Air Force, Vanessa. And description, Airman First Class. Deborah, who wrote this? This is from Airman First Class. Uh, Delra, D apostrophe E L B R A H, uh, Asamoy from Cote d'Ivoire, Cote d'Ivoire, that's Africa, folks. Uh, signs for U.S. Certificate of Citizenship after basic military training graduation ceremony at Joint Base San Antonio, Lackland, Texas. So she gets her U.S. Certificate of Citizenship after basic training. So she goes to boot camp and she becomes a citizen. That's insane. That is truly insane. Well, all these can be corrected and revoked. And it's, it's actually not that hard to revoke citizenship for folks that aren't born here. It really is. And so uh, and, and, but we, the hard part is going to be to revoke citizenship for people who are born here uh, to illegal alien parents and how far down we can go on that chain. That's going to be really interesting. 
All right, enough of that news. Oh, that was fun. What else we got here now? All right, let me... Uh... Oh. Huh, okay. There's a big ad on where I used to have news stories. No, let's get rid of that one. Dude, talked about that, talked about that. We can get rid of that whole website. There we go. The more I get rid of websites, the better off I am. All right, let's see what else we can do here now. 820, oh, let's take another break. Okay, we got a guest in 40 minutes. Uh, I don't have another interview for you. Um, so, uh, you know, I'll just uh, kind of ramble here. 819, let's call it that. And uh, get uh, a few more articles and stuff, then we'll get our guests at the top of the hour. And we'll actually have you know, much more fun to chat about. But in the meantime, I'll see if I can just fill your head with knowledge uh, while we're waiting for, for more stuff uh, to get done here. And let me see if I can find my, uh, here's my sponsor one. Get that one going. Five second delay. Anyway, we do need sponsors, so if you want to, this is how. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three minute live call ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend Jason Myers and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. This is Greg Penglis for Strikeforce, your source for pure energy. Strikeforce is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, WYL, to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. Action Radio. Part of the ADHD Radio Network. The ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. 
and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised Pianchi hasn't uh, called in. Normally we spend Fridays going over stuff, so he's probably busy uh, doing something or other, but uh, that's okay. I'll carry on and uh, you know, carry on the fine tradition of radio, you know, just talking. Yeah. Well, I don't like monologues because they get boring. Um, but uh, there's there's a lot. Like I say, next week I'll have some uh, some hopefully some some really exciting guests in the works. You know, as always, I have more people. There's one guy uh, who's running for office um, in Georgia who was a uh, I won't mention his name just yet, uh, but uh, he was a J6 prisoner uh, and now he's running for office. I'm thinking this is exactly the kind of person I want to have on the show. Some other interesting guests in the works and some different things that are happening. Um, and so we shall let you know. I'm still still working on getting a. Uh, Alan Dershowitz on the show so I can debate him on the Constitution. That's one of the biggies. So uh, that's happening. And uh, as soon as I get him booked, oh, yeah, it's going to get real exciting around here. So, you know, we have, the, we have our, our, our incredible days and our slower days. Last Friday was incredible with Tony Lyons and Judy Mikovits. Today's a little slower because everybody's gone. And it looks like rain out there anyway. <laughs> it looks like a lot of rain out there. And so let me, uh, let me just get the quick forecast for the Milton, Pensacola area of Florida. We're looking at severe weather. Oh, great. Uh, for the next hour, so we might be uh, might have a lightning storm take us off the air at any time. Ninety percent rain starting at nine o'clock. Great, forty percent at ten. So the one time I have a guest schedule, we got the worst weather of the day. Hmm. Coincidence? I don't think so. <laughs> we shall see. All right. So, Geller report. Authenticated leaked video shows DC cops were rioters and instigators at the J6 protest. So J6 is January 6th. For those who don't know. And I, I got to uh, I have to send something to, to my, my dear congressman to get it into the uh, uh, in, into their all their thoughts in Congress, because they're still getting this this problem where they say, you know, were any FBI people involved in January 6th? And they always say, well, we can't answer that question. And I've been over this argument before, but let me do it again just so everybody understands. So when any member of Congress, uh, the House or the Senate um, gets a response that says we can't answer that question. You know, of course, the response is, yes, you can, you have to, and you will. Otherwise, we're going to see what we can do about getting you out of government service because you're under oath and you have to answer. I mean, how, you know, and when someone says, well, that's an ongoing investigation, I can't answer. And so the member of Congress should say, well, we have jurisdiction over ongoing investigations. You have to answer. That's not a, that's not a choice. You have to answer. Well, I better do it in secret session. No, I want to do it in secret session. Let's do it now. It's not classified. What are you doing? You know, are you folks traitors or not? I mean, that's, that's not classified information. That's basic information necessary for any American. So that's what they should say. We have jurisdiction over, over, you know, we have oversight over ongoing investigations. You have to tell us. And they don't do it because they're stupid. Or my favorite, you know, mythical argument that I run in my head is if someone says, uh, uh, I can't answer that question when they say, well, well, how many FBI people were there? How many D.C. cops were uh, involved in the coup? And that's how I'd phrase it. So how many D.C. cops and how many uh, FBI mercenaries, Black Lives Matter, Antifa people were there at the Capitol January 6th while the Trump supporters were walking over um, so you could stop Arizona from being challenged uh, so that you didn't have to worry about Trump electors? How many people were working for the government as part of the coup? That's what I'd ask. 
Um, well, I uh, can't tell you, uh, Senator Penglis, because uh, that would reveal uh, sources and methods, and I just uh, can't get involved with that. So in other words, you can't tell us whether you guys are traitors or not. That's what you're saying, right? Well, uh, I wouldn't phrase it that way. I'm answering your question as best as I can. No, you're not. You're, you're freaking stonewalling. You know? So here's how, I'd, here's how I'd address those folks. You'd say, look, you said you can't answer the question. Uh, and the only reason you, can't, you can honestly say that you can't answer the question is you don't know the answer. But I think you do know the answer. So by saying you, you, can't, you, you won't answer the question, you're actually lying. And that's perjury. So then you say, um, let me ask you again, were any agents involved? And then they'll say, well, I can't answer. I said, well, that's interesting, because if you said they were involved, that would be admitting treason. So it doesn't look like you want to admit treason. Uh, you're withholding information I think you know to be true, and that's perjury. And if you said no agents were involved, that would also be perjury. So either way, you look like you're guilty of treason or perjury. But by saying you don't, you know, you don't want to answer the question, you're actually guilty of both, because you know that people were doing it and were probably a part of it, which makes you a traitor. And you're withholding that information from us, which makes you guilty of perjury. So that's how you answer that. You say, well, I can't answer the question. I say, okay, well, if you said yes, there were agents involved, you'd be a traitor. If you said no, agents were not involved, you knew they were, you'd be a perjurer. So by saying, you know, so you think you're getting out of this by saying that, uh, um, that you can't answer the question. But that makes you both a traitor and a perjurer. Because I'm willing to bet that you, government employee, FBI, know that people were involved in the coup, and um, you're covering up for it uh, so you, you know, with perjury and uh, treason. So you know they were involved, which makes you a traitor by not coming forward, and you know that, uh, and you can't, um, you know, you won't, you won't say they weren't involved because you know that's a lie. So it's fascinating how this works. So treason and perjury—that's how you get these people. All right, Pamela Geller, June tenth, twenty twenty-three, says a bloody coup uh, by the very worst elements of American political life. Make no mistake, we've been overthrown. Show trials, prison sentences, political persecution—America's hellscape at the hands of the party of treason. My kind of woman. She sounds great. Feds were encouraging the protesters to, quote, keep going at the Capitol. Yeah, they were, they were not only entrapped, they were, encouraged, they were basically forced in, uh, into the Capitol. Uh, it says a leaked video shows that at least one Washington, D.C. cop and likely more acted on January 6th as apparent agent provocateurs, dressing as protesters outside the Capitol building and urging protesters toward the iconic building. And this is see the video below. Congressman Barry Laudermilk, Republican of Georgia, says the authenticated GoPro video raises the questions of why police officers, who are identified as intelligence officers, were working to stir up the crowd of protesters instead of working to stop an assault on the Capitol. Well, the Capitol wasn't assaulted, first of all. Secondly, Brian Sicknick was one of those police officers. He's the one that we think died of a COVID shot, you know, because they all got their COVID shots three weeks before January 6th. Hmm. Interesting, huh? Maybe he died of the stress of... Uh, of um, pushing people into the Capitol to, to be a part of a coup that he didn't want to be a part of. That's an interesting possibility, too. This is at one point in the video, the unidentified police officer equipped with the camera said to another that he thought the idea was to get people inside the Capitol building and trap them inside. The observation by the undercover officer leads one to conclude that there was intelligence about a plan to attack the Capitol, and the apparent response by the police was to let them do it and take pictures. Hmm. That's what we call a coup. This is why I say it was necessary for Trump supporters to be upstairs so that they could bring Congress downstairs and stop the count of the Trump electors in the battleground states of Arizona, New Mexico, um, Nevada, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Georgia, and Pennsylvania. That's why they brought the Trump supporters in to stop the count of the Trump electors because they couldn't afford it. The Trump electors counted and Brandon lose uh, the election that he'd already lost. 
Then it says here, when another officer on the video saw people climbing the scaffolding, he told the officer with the GoPro, that's dangerous. Somebody's going to get shot. A third officer said they're not going to shoot anybody, yet they encouraged and participated in the dangerous activity. Yeah. Well, why did they open the doors? If, if it was illegal to go into the Capitol, why were the doors open? You, know, you never hear that question asked. Anyway, so as a group of officers uh, worked their way through the crowd and to the scaffolding, they joined in with the protesters' chants, whose, ha- whose house? Our house. Loudermilk told the Just the News No Noise TV show, <laughs> uh, we knew that uh, it is one of their officers, at, and this is, we know that it is one of their officers that at one point he is encouraging, and it appears he's encouraging. He's definitely helping people climb the scaffolding, and he's telling them, go, go, go. Naturally, the congressman wondered, why, an, why is an officer encouraging people to climb the scaffolding and go into the Capitol? Further, he asked, why did the MPD, Metropolitan Police uh, Department, support department uh, decide to put undercover officers in the crowd? Was there intelligence that they had that was or was not passed to the Capitol Police? And what did the Capitol Police do with the evidence they, if they got it? The Capitol Police were, starting again, Greg, the Capitol Police were offered National Guard help by the Trump administration, which had been disturbed by intelligence reports of possible trouble. See, the Trump folks knew. I think that's why they started the speech an hour late, so the Trump supporters wouldn't be there by the Arizona count. I think they knew. Trump never starts a speech an hour late. Ten minutes, 15 minutes, sure. An hour, no. Nah. That was Bill Clinton and Barack Obama did that. Anyway, so those in charge, let's check one thing here. Yeah. There we go. Those in charge of the Capitol Police, including former Speaker Nancy Pelosi and D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser, turned down the request for a military presence. The outside of the Capitol building was not hardened, uh, and the numbers of Capitol Police were not plussed up, in other words, increased, to deny entry. Just the News reported that a recent January 6th court case involving Williams and Michael Pope revealed the existence of the video. The defendant wanted a copy of the video, and federal prosecutors were concerned about it being out of their control, according to a court document describing the tense. Yeah. Yep, we know how that goes. Uh, let's just finish this last paragraph, then I'll play you some uh, uh, anti-federalist paper stuff. Maybe I'll play you one of each, give you an idea how it works. Then it says, the specific footage, GoPro video recorded by an MDB police officer who was stationed at the Capitol in an evidence-gathering capacity, captures the officer shouting words to the effect of, go, go, go. Keep going, keep going. Apparently, to the individual's uh, in front of him on the, on the balustrade, I'm not sure what that is, of the U.S. Capitol's northwest staircase around 2.15 p.m. At other times in these videos, the officer and the two other plainclothes officers with him appear to join the crowd around them in various chants to include Drain the Swamp, USA, USA, and Whose House, Our House. Among the other ironies seen in the video is the warning to the officers by a person identified as a protester to be careful because Antifa provocateurs were among the crowd. So don't, don't go after Antifa people. Uh, in fact, I'll, push, I'll push this, uh, post this on uh, live chat so you guys can take a look at the video. Yeah, let's see, I got that one right here. Ah, there it goes. All right. Two cool videos. All right, I got some time. I got a guest coming later. Um, and let me see if I can play a couple of things that, uh, from our, our past radio stuff. I want to get into Santa Rosa volunteers, which do not support us yet, but hopefully they will again. But while they, while they did support us, I made a bunch of uh, things about the Federalist and the Anti-Federalist papers. 
So let me see if I can find you. Oh, it looks like I got rid of a bunch, so I thought I had some left over. Hmm. I was going to play some, too. I'm sending a text. I'll play something else then. This will get us. This is Greg Penglis with Founding Moments, sponsored by Santa Rosa Volunteers. For our first founding lesson, I want to start with the Declaration of Independence. Basic to any understanding of freedom and liberty are these words written by Thomas Jefferson. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You will notice there is no reference to race, color, age, nationality, ethnic group, religion, or any of the common leftist categories they use to divide us. David Azarad, in his article for the Heritage Foundation, titled, What the Constitution Really Says About Race and Slavery, December 28, 2015, says that no such concepts as race exist in the Constitution, Declaration of Independence, or any founding document. Therefore, since our founding documents have no such concept as race, it's kind of stupid of the left to say that we are founded on racism. The truth, folks, is that they simply made it up to suit their agenda of national sabotage and destruction so that you would learn to hate your country. We hold these truths to be self-evident. No case need be made. It's plainly obvious. All men, meaning all people, are created equal. Granted, your status once you've come into the world is different from everyone else's because we all have different backgrounds, families, cultures, wealth, education, etc. We have differences, vast differences, but we are created equal. The whole concept of liberty, freedom, and rights are all dependent on keeping God above government. When governments believe they are gods, they will dispense rights as they see fit. When people believe they are gods, they will feel entitled to everything you have. True freedom comes only from the understanding and maintenance in government through control by the people that our rights are unalienable, that they cannot be separated from us, ever, because they came from a power higher than government. That we the people, also being a higher power, realize and maintain control over government because all just powers of government come from the consent of the governed. How we give our consent is why I created Action Radio. I'll be back next week with another edition of Founding Moments, sponsored by the Santa Rosa Volunteers. All right, so I'm uh, trying to contact uh, Alicia A.R. Garcia, my my next guest, and say, hey, call in early, I'm bored. (laughs) Let's see if we get some stuff. Let me play a little uh, Beethoven piano, a little classical music to uh, mellow you out, and then we'll get uh, more exciting stuff when we start talking again with my guest. Thank you. 
All right, so that should get you all kind of mellowed out here. But, uh, yeah, I've uh, got a couple of folks on live chat. We've got the duck is there and Sinai 77 is there. And like I said, this is just kind of a quiet Friday. You know, the, the weather's kind of nasty out there. Uh, I'm hearing thunder and lightning. Of course, I can uh, sometimes they, they've, uh, you know, cut us all <laughs> out completely with the power. And I'm hoping that doesn't happen the one time I get my guests. Try to get my guests a little earlier, but uh, not much luck with that. But, uh, you know, it's. Um, she's in a different time zone, so that makes a difference too. So let me see if I can find you a couple of interesting things to tie us over for the rest of this hour. Again, I don't have that many articles left. It's not that, you know, we, the big news already happened this week. It was uh, Trump, you know, and then the speech they didn't cover. So that's, that's uh, the other stuff, plus the continuing uh, insane war in Ukraine and uh, just basically the, you know, the government takeover of everything is <laughs> the problem. So one of the things uh, I found, this is Lawyer Lisa's Substack. So maybe I do my own Substacks. I've got a bunch of them out there now. Um, I'll, I, like I say, the only thing worse than reading other people's articles is reading my own. You can read those at gregpenglis.substack.com. But this one looked interesting. And this is from, uh, where's Laura? Lisa, from June 11th. Smart City Infrastructure Fund. So they were trying to put us on to these, uh, you know, what they, what they used to call uh, infill and uh, smart growth cities. You know, uh, that was back in the 90s. And they're still the same stuff. They're just trying to do it with more fear, more climate change. And now they're called smart city infrastructures. So this is the money behind your open air prisons. <laughs> there we go. Oh, how nice of them. One of the things uh, they like to do is name their SHIT. I can't say, I'm sorry, I can't swear on the radio. I just don't do it well. Name their stuff. <laughs> so we can find it everywhere once we know how they name it. So, so anytime you hear smart, uh, always beware. Smart uh, meters mean that uh, that's government rationing your electricity through a meter. Smart cities mean they tell you exactly how to live. They're total oppression zones. Um, uh, sustainable means you don't get any of it. You know, this is like these, these inverse things that uh, come from the definitions. Anyway, it says half my substacks are based on stumbling upon their terms of art, you know, like gender diversity rather than identity or smart city infrastructure. Then you just follow it out. Oh, yeah, here's another good one, gender affirming care. So in other words, if you change somebody or lie to them that you can change their sex to something else, that's called, zen, that's called affirming. Affirming would usually be maintaining or affirming who you are, right? Is it being affirmed? But not, not in the case of, of gender, which is really sex. They're actually changing and calling it affirming. So a lot of the terms of the left are complete and total lies. Uh, then it says, then you just follow it out. Always the same pattern too. fund the organization, name this organization the expert on the subject, give the expert you funded an ability to weigh in on a political matter with an important study, use the study to justify the goal. That's actually a really good pattern. It's a good description of how the left works. Close the subject matter to all disagreement. Therein uh, are the uh, pretty little terms of art that only they use and adopt. Little code words, their language. It's always quite an interest, interest use of their language uh, or of language. Not natural. It sprinkles sparkles at the uh, pride parade. Expect uh, it's uh, likely taxpayer money to justify your own imprisonment. So there you go. So, so why is this Pride Month and not Gay Pride Month? Well, we can't have uh, gay in the title as, uh, you know, we're just talking about pride. Well, there's no such thing as Pride Month. You know, that, and as I commented on Facebook before, you know, that'd be like uh, uh, taking Black History Month and making it History Month. Well, you've taken out the whole reason for doing it. The whole reason for this month is not Pride, it's Gay Pride. LGBTQ+, and nobody knows what plus is. No one else really knows what Q is. And T doesn't fit there anyway. It should be LGB. And why is there pride? 
you know, so this stuff doesn't make any sense. So the, so the whole, the whole thing is a complete contradiction. Um, AR's on the line now too, so I'm going to bring her right on in just a second here. But uh, this is my my latest you know political thing, and I, like I say, I wrote this a while back. That uh, the whole idea of uh, you know gay pride, which is what it used to be, uh, is being changed to pride. But you can't do that because that'd be like taking Black History Month and calling it History Month. So let me uh, let me have a little fun here. <laughs> let me do my my guest of the day thing, um, and just, just scrolling through here. So Alicia, thanks for calling in early. I appreciate it. Because it's just been, uh, you know, going over articles has been pretty dull the last, you know, a little bit here. I don't mind admitting that. I'll tell you when things are good. I'll tell you when things are, are kind of crazy. And things have been uh, not as I, as I have uh, normally wanted them to go, being the only one talking this morning. That's kind of boring. All right. Let's get our guest of the, guest of the day. A.R. Garcia. First name, Alicia. So... Alicia's a gun expert. She does sales stuff. She does all kinds of things, organizations, working on gun rights, uh, and just has many different things going on uh, all at once. We, we kind of met on Facebook where I look for interesting people and in that section, people you may know. And so I take a look and go, hmm, let's see if that might be an interesting person. And then sure enough, in this case, I found a very interesting person. Uh, so we had a little bit of a chat last night. And so I want to welcome, uh, uh, do you want, do you want, should I call you Alicia or AR or how would you like to be addressed for today? Or any day for that matter. Welcome to call me Alicia, just not Alicia, because that sucks. <laughs> well, you see, can I'm call gonna me say whatever you are. So, Alicia, I love the sound of that too. Alicia, let's give you a round, yeah. Alicia, let's give you a round of applause for today. <laughs> so welcome. So yeah, so we were chatting last night and we were having a, a great conversation. Thank you. But again, I found you on Facebook. Yeah, thank you. I uh, found you on Facebook and I thought, hmm, interesting person. And especially for face because we like to, I like to do gun chats. And what's fascinating to me is the amount of women that are getting involved in firearms. Um, and I used to work in it, just to give you more information, I used to work in a gun store years and years ago. And I really was disgusted with the guys that were like, uh, like used car salesmen. Come on here, little lady, let me show you the gun for you. I'm like, you arrogant yes. or not. You're not treating people as people. You're not treating women as people. And I actually had a really um, interesting following that a lot of women, especially, uh, you know who was buying the most guns? This is back in the 80s. The, the women who were buying the most guns uh, were ones who had recently lost their husbands. And they wanted to protect themselves. And this is in Oakland, California. So it's not the safest area. In fact, it's much worse now. But the biggest thing I noticed is that gun sales folks did not treat women as people. It was like, I know what's best for you. Trust me, I'll tell you what you need. And, and that just disgusted me. What do you think? Yeah, it's still, it's still very much uh, that vibe in a lot really? of places. I don't want to huh. discount, you know, places that have, you know, evolved with the times. But essentially, when I started getting into um, really, really owning my own safety and taking into account that I'm actually buying own guns and stuff, previously uh-huh. it, was, I got, it was my dad who was taking care of all those things for me. So my dad was like the protective shield that stepped in at, in those moments, you know, let's go, let's go to the store, let's get you this. And and the man explaining, you know, and you know, all the misrepresentation and talking to me like I'm stupid and all that stuff. And once my dad passed away, my dad was my shooting buddy. I was like, okay, well, this is weird. You know, I, I literally had a man tell me at the gun range when I was looking for a specific gun that I don't need that gun. The boobs are going to get in the way. 
And I was what? like, oh, the only, boob, the only boob I see here is you. But, okay, um, like, you know, that's, that's, that's how we're going to go about this. So yeah. it was just a – it was kind of like a, a shock for me to realize just that welcomed I was, which was very peculiar to me because I'm, I've always been kind of like the Lisa Simpson of the world. I'm the overachiever. I'm the one who uh-huh. – you know, always involved in everything. I've always had a, you know, a pretty decent life. So it was like, okay. It's kind of shocking to me to see that people were just, I was very much just a woman, you know, and I was like, oh, this, this isn't going to work. So I'm one of those people that believes if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. So I yeah. just took it into my own hands and said, you know what, I'm going to do my best to solution and make a change and start educate people on these types of things, and it just kind of went from there. Yeah. We've got just a little bit of problem with your line, and, and again, we were, we were experiencing this before. So wherever you get the strongest bars, and uh, where you are now is pretty good, but it, it, we lose a couple of words here and there. It's nothing. It's not It's not going to, you know, take away all the meaning. I've had that happen sometimes, too. Uh, Jonathan, who's on Mondays, is notorious for having, you know, he'll have, like, a really good phone connection one week, and the next week in the same place, I can hear every other word, and it's terrible. But um, anyway, uh, let's, let's, let's get back to gun stuff, which is more fun. So what's... You, your father taught you to shoot. Now, how important were fathers to women who are shooting today? Uh, and weren't mothers teaching um, their daughters how, how to shoot? Our fathers, period. I mean, to me, huh. I, I love my dad. My my dad's right. been gone uh, eight years. I'm sorry. And it's, it's well, I mean, it's it's life. You know what I mean? I mean, mm-hmm. that's the only guarantee we have in life is that you're going to die. And yep. you know, a lot of people never really live though. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are just walking zombies out there and, you know, they're going through the motions definitely enjoying life or experiencing life the way they should. And I was lucky enough to have a father who basically raised me to be, he'd always tell me, you're my little warrior queen. You know, you're going to, hmm. you're great things. You're, you're meant to be everything that you're supposed to be. You're my namesake. You're my baby girl. My dad right. always raised me to help use my voice to be at my best, to push back. I mean, my I love my dad. I still love my dad to this very day. And I was I've been raised by extremely masculine quality men. So mm-hmm. I'm I have a very very high standard when it comes to men in my life. I'm very proud of that. And I mean, I see there's so much of a, an attack on masculinity right now in the world that I'm, I'm really sick and tired of hearing the term toxic masculinity. I tell people all the time, like, there is no such thing. The absence of masculinity is what is toxic. Real mm-hmm. men is the foundation of what it means to create a woman who is completely empowered with her femininity because our, the, the biggest feminist on the planet is the masculine man. He's the one that recognizes the power the purpose and the sanctity of a true woman and does everything in his power to provide and to protect her. So to me, it's like, well, that's how I learned exactly how precious and rare that I was, was because my dad sat me down and said, hey, listen, you hold the power of creation within yourself. You are one of God's greatest gifts. You're worth everything. And you should know that and you should value yourself at that level. And it's been my experience that if you start at a certain level in life, you're never going to downgrade from it, right? So mm-hmm. I was raised to believe I am exactly what I am. I'm I'm powerful, I'm beautiful, I'm rare, I'm special, I'm unique, and I'm important. So why would I ever discount that? 
you know, my dad was the very first person to lay down the ground and be like, look, this is what it is. And, you know, I tell men, even I, my brother's my best friend in the whole world. And, you know, he has daughters. She's my goddaughter. She's one of my closest and dearest relationships in my life. And, you know, when she was born, I had to have that conversation with my brother, like, hey, look, you're going to be the first man in her life. You're either going to be the first disappointment or, you know, the first triumph of what it means to have a relationship with a man. You have to decide what that's going to look like, you know, and you're going to, you, you set the groundwork for this. So fathers are, are essential masculinity in men and women's life especially positive men like that. I mean, I don't know what I would do without it. You know, I, I still miss it this very day, absolutely. That's really interesting. And I've heard that term, and I can't stand it. And we do shows on that. We have a, we have a men's group, you know, Ad Action Radio, one of our many groups. And uh, I get women wanting to join. It's like, no, I mean, there's no place where guys can talk anymore, you know, and not say what they want to say uh, without being criticized. And it's really, it's really horrible. Um, women in this society right now, and this is interesting we're going off on this because uh, it's quite interesting to me, but you look at schools are geared much more towards women uh, and guys get uh, Adderall and ADHD drugs and Ritalin and things like that for being guys. Whereas those same guys 50 years ago would be like, well, what are you inventing? What are you creating? What are you doing? You know, it was much more encouragement. You know, on TV, we've gone from father knows best um, to men are complete idiots. So the young, I worry yeah. about the young guys. The young guys especially because, you know, I mean, they're spending all the time video, doing video games and they're not engaging in relationships because why bother? You know, the world's against yep. them, you know. And so uh, why would they engage in something where they're probably going to get divorced, they're going to lose their kids, they're going to lose their income, they're going to lose their house. And for what? Why, why would they even get married? And, and we've taken away what makes guys guys. And you might actually like um, this conversation I have on Mondays with uh, Dorothy Diana. It's our sex and sensuality report. And, yes, she's a, a sex educator and things like that. And, and she's really brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But what's interesting is because she works with women so much, she doesn't get the guy's perspective. So what I've kind of taken on is the role of, like, well, and she'll make these gross generalizations about men. And I'm like, uh, wait a minute, <laughs> we need to talk about that because that's not quite true. And so the interplay between us is really quite fascinating, and it's developed into this incredible show. And we've been doing this now for, for several months. But uh, guys don't stand up for themselves because they feel like somehow, well, I don't want to be uh, sexist or overpowering or overbearing. And so they don't stand up for themselves at all. And the worst irony of all, and this is the thing that really gets me, is that as a man speaking up for men, uh, nobody listens, not, not men, not women. Do you know who's listening to, to people the most about men's rights? Women. Women are the ones who are speaking up for men's rights. And women are the people who are being listened to about men's rights. So you can't talk to men about men's rights, but you can talk to women about it and the women who are, are speaking up. Which it's is, which is It really is. Yeah. It What's is. Going on? And, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that um, there really is only a need for men and women. Do I, do I care if you're gay? Do I care if you're transgender? Absolutely not. It's, that's the beauty of America's freedom right. is ugly, right? That's the beauty of freedom. You do whatever it is that you want to do, live and let live. Just don't tread on me. Let me be who I need to be, right? Um, as long as you're not hurting or murdering anybody or children, I'm okay with it. And, I mean, that's just, that's just pretty much the way it goes. But nowadays we have so many quote-unquote experts on what it means to be a man, and none of them are actual men. You know, it's like, it's like wait a minute, we've, we've – We've made a society where it's okay to demean men, and that is just not okay. Like, it's definitely not okay. And, I mean, I work in a very male-dominated industry, mm -hmm. and I'm lucky enough to say, like, 
in my circle of friends in this industry, most of them are men. And I trust these men not only with my friendship but with my life. I mean, we get on the line together. We shoot together. You know, our families are close. You know what I mean? You can't, you can't really be in a space where you're training for life and death, right, where you're becoming better, you're running guns, you're trusting this person that you're training with to have your back, literally. So mm-hmm. it's like you, you, become, you become very bonded to these people because you're learning to anticipate, you know, danger, their body language, situational awareness, things that are, that are going on around you. And these people be, have become, you know, I, I call them my brothers in arms because I trust them. I trust them with everything. I trust them to give me advice, to help me out, to have my back. And, you know, I've been very blessed in this environment because I have such amazing men that surround me. And what I've noticed is the way I am treated is it was quite different from when I used to be just by myself. And it's like I think people have forgotten the the beauty and the, the sacredness and the protection and the authority and the essence of what it means to have a masculine man around. I, I mean, I feel much more comfortable. And, you know, I, I, I've carried a gun most of my life. You know, I, I mm, carry a gun everywhere I go. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I carry a gun. I mean, I have, I have no shame in it. I'm very proud to be a, a gun owner. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in relationships, especially romantic relationships, not just friendships. But in romantic relationships, you're either going to be the cherished one or you're going to be the, you know, the respected one, the authoritative one. You can't be both. Because right now we have a lot of women in society that are so used to being both right now. That's why they're, these men are being, you know, demasculinized. You know what I mean? Because their masculinity is being robbed from them because you can't be the cherished and you can't be the authority. You need to pick one. You need to pick up the role you're at. You can't be the one that's like, oh, you're going to come home and, and cater to me and this and this and that, but when I'm not happy, I have my foot. Pick and choose which role you want to play. Men need yeah. to be free to be men, and I think that what that has been, you know, led to believe of what a man is has been, you know, turned to this crap. Like these, these men, I, I follow this, um, I should say I used to, I follow this uh, account on Instagram that's like the masculine mindset because I was like, hmm. oh, you know, I would love to hear a man's perspective. You know, I mean, I love to play the devil's advocate. I want to hear, you know, what's being talked about, what's being cultured in these men. And I was really, really hoping, you know, that there's these things that these men are going to be saying that are confounding, they're going to be inspiring and motivating to other men out there to embrace their masculinity and, you know, bring back that, you know, that renaissance man. No, it's not. It's, you know, I'm going to sleep with whoever I want. I can't commit to one woman. You're going to have to be okay with that, that I need to be with multiple sexual partners. And if the minute that I'm unhappy with that, you know, you're, I'm going to find me a different woman. It's like that's not the basis of masculinity either, you know. So it's like there's this whole misconstruing of what it means to be a man these days, and it's like, I'm waiting for, you know, the real men to step up and be like, this is what it means to be a man, that I can salute, that I can say, yep, I agree with that. You know what I mean? Because like you were just saying, being a woman speaking up for men is it's kind of sad, right? Like nobody wants to hear what I have to say because what I have to say isn't from personal experience. I can talk about the effect masculinity has had on my life, mm-hmm. you know, my experience with strong masculinity, but I can't speak for men just as I don't appreciate men speaking for me. 
So it's like, yeah. where are the men out there that actually represent the true Renaissance masculine man? Uh, me. <laughs> to be quite blunt. Um, it's fascinating. Uh, and, and maybe because I'm a little older, I'm 63. And so I noticed differences in generations. Like I grew up, you know, riding a bicycle for 15 miles, 15 hours a day and coming home when I felt like it. And I was completely on my own. We didn't have, you know, I didn't have a phone with me. You know, I had changed for a pay phone, but I was just on my own. I was used to being independent. You know, I flew an airplane at 16 years old. Uh, my week after my 16th birthday, I soloed and I was flying around New England by myself, you know. And so it, that set the, the tone for the rest of my life. Uh, had obstacles, good times, bad times, mass depression, incredible exaltations. Life's been great. Life's been terrible. But that being a man means you just you just run with it. A um, little housekeeping note. We have a huge storm going on right now here. So I'm surprised the power hasn't cut out already because it's flickered a couple of times. So if for some reason the signal just completely drops, um, I end that episode and I restart a new one. So give me about five minutes and we'll be back on the air again if it does cut out, okay. just to let you know. Yeah, but this is fascinating. And just for folks listening, I had no idea we were going to go in this direction. We didn't talk about this at all yesterday, so this is really kind of cool. Um, do you think men know how to be men these days, especially like the 40 you know, and under crowd? Um, well, that's interesting that you say that because um, just for since we're talking about that, I'm 41 years old, okay? Mm-hmm. So a lot of people don't think I'm my age. They look at me and they think I'm quite younger, but that's... Yeah, I get the same thing. I kind of like it, actually. (laughs) I think I'm like mid-40s. It's like, no, I'm 60. You know, I'm in my early 60s. What? You're kidding. What's my attitude? Anyway, back to you. Up until recently in my life, um, I'm actually going to... My partner in life, my boyfriend that I've had for about uh, eight years or so, he Uh and I are splitting up. We're we're broken up. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry too, but it's this is the thing. He is probably the most wonderful, most respectful, kind, generous. He is mm-hmm. such a beautiful man. Like mm-hmm. there's not one negative thing I could say about him. And people are like, well, why are you guys breaking up? It's like, well, because my life that I want is on the road. The life that I want is, you know, training with guns, educating the world, being out, being about. And that's mm-hmm. what he's like. He has a completely different life here. And I just think it's, he needs, he, he's earned his place to be able to enjoy his life he's created for himself. He's a father. Mm-hmm. He's a grandfather. He's all these things. He is 18 years my senior. And mm-hmm. people are like, wow, you know, that's unusual. It's like, well, he's a masculine man, and I'm a, I'm a feminine woman. And that's a well, you almost guy. have to go to the older guys because we're the ones who were, remember what it's like to be men. We were raised by, well, not my case, but uh, you know, I, I went and sought out fathers of friends of mine. And this is back in, I graduated high school in 77. So there were still real guys, you know, that uh, yes. did real stuff. And so my models, my role models were real men. And so it makes actually perfect sense that, that you, it takes, you know, a real man to interest a real woman. And so if you're a strong, strongly feminine, uh, and like I said, the decision you make, you'd be the cherished one or the protecting one. Uh, if you make that choice, then chances are you would end up with an older guy. It's kind of encouraging for me. I wouldn't mind meeting someone in their 40s. It's kind of uh, not a bad idea. But just because women in my age can't keep up, they've got no energy. They're, they, they're too tired. They can't do stuff. And I'm like, let's go climb well, mountains. Let's go hit the road. They don't have the same ideologies. Oh, that's interesting. Tell me. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't on a Saturday and Sunday, there uh-huh. are so many more things I'd rather do with my life than sit and watch a, a sports game Ugh. and drink beer. You know I can't what I mean? Do that like, either. yeah, I can't do what that. What a waste of time! I, uh-huh. I, you know, like, I'm not going to be cheered. I'm not cheering for somebody else. I'm being cheered for. 
Yep. You know what I mean? Like, I'm out here doing things, not sitting here on the sidelines watching somebody do something that means nothing to my life. I don't care about that crap. You know what I mean? Like, Well, you're a doer, not a watcher. Like, I mean, I, I've said this for exactly. years about me. Yeah, I can't watch a parade. I have to be in the parade. I, I don't watch, yes. you know, concerts. I, I play guitar so that I can play in concerts. You know, I mean, this has been my whole life. I don't, you know, it's really funny, too, because, you know, uh, I look like a California nerdy, you know, sort of, I don't know, not, not your characteristic, you know, strong masculine guy. And yet, you know, if you just hear my voice and you listen to the things we talk about, my personality is extremely strong. But to look at me, I got the glasses and, you know, the whole bit and sort of look kind of, uh, you know, passive. But it's, it's not true. It's a complete disguise, which actually I use to my advantage. But, um, but it's interesting that, uh, like I say, the age difference. Do you find that, though, that generally the, the men in your life, the men that you respect and talk to, are older because they're of a different generation? I, I tend to gravitate towards um, older people. I, was, okay. I mean, I'm from a small town. I'm from small town Colorado. I was, um, uh-huh. I was raised in Trinidad, Colorado. So, I mean, I hung out with my uncles and my dad and my grandparents. You know, I spent the weekend with my grandpa and, you know, fishing and doing things outdoors and, you know, having an outdoorsy lifestyle with my dad. So I've always really enjoyed those things. And I have a brother and I have a sister. So, you know, they didn't do as much of that as I did. You know, they weren't as interested in it as I was. So my dad and I tended to, you know, I'm 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 a complete daddy's girl. I'm a complete tomboy. And we got into that conversation this weekend with a, a good friend of mine that there's no such thing as tomboys anymore. You're you're in the wrong body. You know, your gender's <laughs> wrong and all I this stuff. And I was like, No Yeah, yeah this trend. I'm like, no, I'm a too. I'm like, no, yeah. I'm tomboy. Like my the thing like people ask me what what are the things that you love to do? I love to travel. I love to be adventurous. I love to go yeah. fishing. I love to be outside shooting guns. I like to work <laughs> on guns. I like I love things like that. But do I know how to be a woman? Absolutely. I love my femininity. I love my girliness. Yeah. I I love to be a woman. I love my sensual energy. I love all that about myself. And I I I'm very proud of my femininity. But it, I mean, you want to. You want to bust some caps and catch a fish and grill it up and cuddle? <laughs> you know, I'm like, let's do that. Now, this makes a lot of sense. Because it, it, it sort of answers a question I've been thinking of. So you weren't raised as, you know, your father's son who happened to be a girl, which I think is a huge mistake. You were raised as a girl who could do anything. Yeah. Make sense? And I was always reminded of that, especially okay. by my dad. My dad would yep. always remind me, like, you can do whatever you want to do. Right. You can be whoever you want to be. You don't have to live the life that you want. For me, you don't have to be anybody's anything. You be you. Yep. As much as and as much as he wanted me to be, you know, the things that he wanted, he would always tell me, "It's not my life, honey. You have to be what makes you happy. You have to do. You have to follow your heart." And you know, I was. My father was a very smart man. He was a very stern man. He was a very authoritative man. When my father spoke, I listened. He terrified the crap out of me because I. I, you know, I was a child and I, I feared my dad as most yeah. children should. The fear of my dad's authority made me shape, you know, ship up or shape out mentality. You know, like, Ooh, I better, I better shut up. My dad's going to do this. I, he told me to do this. And, you know, as a child, you don't understand a lot of things, you know, like, Hey, you know, dad, why are you singling me out? Why is it uh-huh. my responsibility to wake up at six o'clock in the morning and help grandma get breakfast ready when my brother right. gets to sleep, my sister gets to sleep in? Why is it me? You know, and I was the one that I was always why like, was it why, you? Why me? Why was it and, you? You know, he straight up told me, he's like, because you can, honey. He was like, that's your power. You don't understand that 
this is this is what your destiny is. He's like, you're stronger than them. This is who you are. He's like, you're smarter. It's your it's your job. It's your it's your place in this world to break these generational curses. To you know, head this part of the family. This is your strength. This is the life hmm. that you were bestowed upon, and that's who you are. And you don't need to be afraid of that. And one of the things he also told me was, I'm not going to be around forever, babe. I'm yep. not going to be around forever. If I did all this stuff for you, you wouldn't know how to do it. I need you to know how to do these things because I can't rest well at night knowing that you're on your own and there's nothing I can do to help you. You know, he's like, I- I'm not raising you to be complacent. I'm raising you to be, you know, triumphant. I want you to know that you can do these things and you can provide for yourself and you can protect yourself. You know how to cook a meal. You know how to iron your clothes. You know how to, you know, look at the sun and know what time of day it is without – you know, a watch. You know, I want you to know how to tie. Oh, I saw that on Crackle Dial then. Yeah, I know how to do that too. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing you. You know, yeah, but yeah it's like are, my dad was yeah. very much that guy. And hmm. for a long time, it was like, why are you, why are you zoning in on me? He was like, because you can, baby. That this is who you are. Like so your brother's not that guy. You. Your yeah, he that, saw something that, in you pretty special. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and it, being like, I don't have any kids in my very young. I've never been married, uh-huh. and I don't have any right. kids. Right. So. You know, I have my goddaughter, who is my brother's youngest daughter, who is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, she's my niece, but she's my goddaughter. And, you know, we're Chicano. We're Chicano, we're Chicano, Latinos, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. But, it, you know, In Colorado, she's my niece, interesting. her yeah. Nina. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm her Nina, which means I baptize her. I'm her godmother. And I mm-hmm. take that very seriously because to me, I, I made it, it's a sacrament to me and my, my beliefs and my relationship with God that, you know, I baptized her in God's house in holy water and took a vow that I'm going to protect her for the rest of her life. And right. I promised that. But to me, it's like, well, I need to make sure that she succeeds. It's like me saying I'm, her, I'm a parent to her. And I see the same thing in her. And now that I'm older and she's older, I understand so much more of what my dad would say to me. You know, it's that thing that you hear when you're a kid, you understand when you're old and you're like, that's stupid, that's a cop-out. It really isn't. You can't speak, you know, butterfly language to caterpillars, you know, and it's like mm-hmm. I was still in the caterpillar stage of my life, and it was like, okay, I don't understand it. I had to trust my dad and the fact that I loved him and I respected him and I felt safe with him. I could surrender and I could give him that trust to be like, okay, I'm just going to trust and I'm just going to listen and learn. So when we're talking about how important men and fathers are to women, I, I really couldn't be who I am without my dad. Yeah, and this is why it's such a tragedy that uh, men are being discouraged from being fathers, being in relationships, you know, starting companies, being entrepreneurs, being who we are. You know, and I, I've had this conversation with folks. It's like, well, who do you think, uh, especially us white guys, you know, us white Christian males, you know, who do you think invented the airplane? A couple of white guys. Who do you think invented the computer? A couple of white guys. How about the light bulb? How about the phonograph? How about the radio? How about virtually everything you touch was probably transported at some point by some white guy in a truck? You know, so if you're trying to get rid of the guys, and not just the white guys, but if, you, if you're trying to get rid of guys, it ain't going to work. This country's not going to function. If men stop functioning, the country stops functioning. And I don't think people realize and that. I think they think I, that we're throwaway. I think throwaway. that's the same thing for both. And, you know, like the same thing with women. All women have to do if they want to break the economy is never go to work and stop yeah. having babies. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like people forget that men and women aren't meant to be equal. They're meant to be balanced. It's intrinsic. Yep. You know what I mean? Like there's, that's a reason there are only two. And I'm a, I'm a very spiritual person, and I'm very mm-hmm. in tune with my, my um, 
spirituality as not just, you know, a Christian woman, but just in general. And we're everybody here on this earth is both masculine and feminine, where we all are. It took a man to create you and a woman to create you. It doesn't matter what what anybody has to say about that. It took men and women to make a, a child. So mind is of the man, heart is of the woman. You know, when you, you're very task-oriented, you're very focused, that's the masculine side of you. You're very intuitive, you're emotional, you, you feel things, that's your heart, that's your woman inside of you. And, you know, you should be able to call upon both of those powers. You know, like I was saying earlier, the most masculine men that I know are the ones that really value the women. You know, they can, they're, they're the fathers that recognize the tenderness of the child, that can have those moments and embrace them and do those things. Yeah, that's that's there because they're leading with their heart, but they're using their masculine energy to provide and protect. Same thing with women. And I think right now the society that we're in really, really promotes masculine energy in women. And I I was a result of that for a very long time. I mean, Hmm. I miss independence. I've taken care of myself and raised myself since I was 17, almost 18 years old. I've never lived with anybody my entire life. I've been completely autonomous. And Mm -hmm. it got to the point that my autonomy – was the most important part of my life. I needed to know that no matter what, I can count on me. You know, my money, my house, my things, my car, you know, my life, my schedule. And what I was finding is that I was driving every masculine man that I had in my life away. I was, you know, at some point I they, you know, they were emasculated by me. And I was like, why why is this happening? You know, and it was, you know, I would get the advice from, you know, other women like, he's just not man enough for you. He's not man enough for you. He's not man enough for you. And maybe that was true. But it, the irony of the situation is my uncle, who has since passed, one of my favorite uncles ever in the history of the world, he was the gayest man on the face of the planet. I mean, <laughs> he, he, he literally would call himself a faggot. He would, that's how he identified with himself. Okay. No, honey, I'm a faggot, honey. I wear makeup. I carry a purse. I wear platform shoes. You know, I like men. He, that's how he called himself. And he mm-hmm. told me, he was like, you need to find something in your life that you shut up and let a man do for you. You can't do everything. Men need to feel like they're bringing something to the table. They need to feel like they're doing something for you and contributing to your life. You can't do everything. So find out what those things are and be able to have a man do those things for you and be submissive in that area because mm. you're just going to keep emasculating men your whole life. And it's like, okay, and I had to think about that, like, okay, what are the things in my life that I want a man to do? And it, as I grew older, it was like, okay, just because I can doesn't mean that I should or I should okay. have. You know what I mean? Huh. So I well, think that that's the yeah. difference of being an independent woman. It's like, yeah, I'm capable of doing whatever I want, but do okay. I <laughs> well, I don't see. I don't think you can emasculate somebody that that doesn't uh, uh, that that we're more independent than that. Um, so I don't think it's you emasculating. I just don't think you left room for men. Uh, there was no place for a man to to be a part of your life. And I don't think that was emasculating. I think that's a, that's a misused term all the time. You can't do that to somebody else if they're not already doing it to themselves. So if a man wants to give up on being a man, sure, that's emasculating. But as far as a woman doing into it, you either, uh, if you tolerate the situation, then you're emasculated. If you leave the situation and say, no, this is ridiculous. I don't want to hang around this person. There's, you know, there's no room for me here. That's not emasculating. That's just taking charge of the man. And so I think we misuse those, those terms horribly. Uh, guys, it's like guys are always being put down. It's really scary. 
uh, what, what's they happening. They really are, though. They really are. Yeah. Okay. I, I, it makes me sad. It is because yeah. I love men. I, I really do. I love men. And like yeah. I said, I'm blessed to be surrounded by absolutely amazing men in my life, like especially in the gun community. And, you know, I, people are like, wow, you know, how much be for you? You probably get sexualized a lot. You probably get, you know, mansplained to and dumbed down the whole gun bunny, you know, vibe, right? What's a, what's a gun like, bunny? <laughs> I, I've heard that term before. So uh, a gun bunny is the – and I'm going to be straight up with you because that's oh, just the kind of gal that I am. That's I'm, the, I'm 100 the all the time. Is, is, this is, I think a yeah. gun bunny can be both man and woman. I do oh. because I see a lot of men doing the same thing. But basically mm-hmm. a gun bunny is – you know, the person or woman who is sexualizing themselves, you know, standing around with a gun, you know, scantily clad, you know, just being like the, a gun model, an over-sexualized gun model, right? Hmm. And they're just there for aesthetics. The hot chick in the bikini, the hot dude in his, you know, hoochie daddy shorts and, you know, tattoos and his watch and trying to look cool for the camera kind of a thing, hmm. you know, Interesting. and okay. it's like, no, that's not what I'm going to do here. That's not who I am. And, you know, I get that from a lot of people because this industry is very big. I mean, it's, you're, it's, it's a small industry. You're going to know people really quickly. And mm-hmm. I was lucky enough when I came into this industry, you know, seven years ago that I walked straight to the head of the class. I, <laughs> the people that I, you know, met, initially that I became close with, that I worked with, that I've been training with, they are the most exemplary people I've ever met in my life. Hmm. And they're wonderful human beings. Um, shout out to Kevin Dixie of No Other Choice Train and Learn and Ken Scott of the Prevectus Group and my friend Devin Perkins. He has a company called Kids to Kings and my friend Jelani Moore who does all my visuals, my visuals by Jay and Pete of Carolina Custom Home. These are men that are my friends. You know, mm-hmm. Ron Kontowski, he's a, a beautiful man who lives in Kansas that he helps me train. These are all very, very masculine men. They're white, they're black, they're Italian. They're, you know, they're wonderful men. Yeah, color doesn't matter. They treat That's me like a peer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. they treat me like well, a peer. They don't treat me just like a woman. And well, they, they That's the definition of a masculine man. That's the definition of masculine yeah. man that treats women like women or, or like people. We, that's the first thing I talked about with you with the, with the gun store way back when. I was disgusted with my fellow you know, gun salesmen. They were older guys. I was like in my 20s at the time. Uh, it's really quite fascinating. But um, the older I get, the more I realize that the, the, the closer we get, that men to women get, while recognizing our differences, uh, the better off we all are. That it really is critical yeah. for men to have women in their life and women to have men in their life and good you know, and we've taken we're we're taking away the the man part of this equation by making them girly men, metrosexual, you know, cross dressing, transvestite, now trans, you know, or, or as I call it, uh, cosmetic elective surgery, you know, ruin people. Uh, I don't see trans as a uh, as a civil rights group. I see, as, in fact, I'm gonna be writing a bill on this that uh, all trans. Uh, surgeries and uh, drug therapies will be listed under cosmetic and elective surgery um, so that you take away the whole civil rights group. That, I think, is going to be a long way to go because the, 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 not only are, are the two sexes you know, being destroyed, they're being merged, they're being uh, confused to the point where there is no difference. And I think that's part of what the left is doing. How do you see that fitting in? Because this is really well, a, a huge tragedy right now. Well, I Colorado, which is the sex change capital of the world. Oh, it is? So for, I've never heard of it. So, it so tell me about 
How'd you get the name so Trinidad? That's, a, that's an island north of Venezuela. I mean, that's where Trinidad is. But it's a, so how'd you get the name Trinidad? How'd you get Trinidad, Colorado? Were they were some there so from Trinidad, the islands? Colorado is 13 miles north of the Mexico-Colorado border. It's a very, very small town. Um, okay. there's, I'm going to just drop some knowledge on you. So there was a doctor... Um, when I was a child growing up who was very close with my family, we used to go fishing at his stock lake all the time. His name was Dr. Mm-hmm. Viber. Dr. Mm-hmm. Viber was the surgeon who created and pretty much mastered the gender reassignment surgery the, for oh, men to transition guy. from women and women to transition from men. So the city in, uh, of Trinidad, Colorado, was a huge mecca for people going through the transition. Uh-huh. And I was raised around all that, so that's hmm. you know I'm not I'm not blind to people going through trans- transgender surgeries. This has been a part of my life for a very very long time. My uncle, like I said, who was very close to me, was very very much a gay man. But and did I he want to of- have surgery to change, no, or was he happy he being a man, a man who dressed like a woman? Okay. No, he he was a man, and he would tell you, I'm a man who likes men. I am a gay man who likes men. And he would just, he'd say, I'm gay. And like I said, he would call himself a faggot. He'd be like, hey, I'm a faggot, you know? And I'm like, okay, whatever, you know? And that's what he was. And I mean, my family, my grandfather would rent homes that we had, you know, he maintenance properties and homes that he owned in Trinidad to people that would move to Colorado for the change. You know, a woman would move in, a man would move out. We'd go to yard sales on the weekend, my grandma, my aunt, my uncle, of men selling their women things and vice versa. But this wow. was a process. You know, like this was a process. Like you had to go through mental health checks. You had to, you know, pass but mental health it's all evaluation. based on a lie, though. The whole thing's based on a lie. Well, you can't change this, your, this your sex. This is where I stand on that. Okay. This is where I stand on it. That we talk about on the show that's a lot. That's yeah, the side of freedom. If that's what you want to do to yourself and, and that's your choice, unfortunately, that's Oh, no, I wouldn't stop a – no, let me, let me right? be real clear. I, I would not stop a consenting adult from, from uh, you know, having – it's still, it's still elective surgery and it's elective drug treatment. So my rule is, is very simple. You leave the kids alone. If you're under 18, you don't touch yes. the kids. All right? That's the first rule. And the I second agree. rule is – yeah. If it has to do with children, I mean – I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a protector, honey. Like you don't uh, mess with the kids. I'm a protector like, too. Or what? Yeah, I'm, so a, I'm a papa. I, I'm I raised the daughter. So, yeah, I'm with yes, you there. I'm a hundred percent agreement with that. Like you don't yep. sexualize kids. Period. Right. Period. But, because I mean, there's confounding psychological, you know, studies from in the history of the world that right. show that the quickest way to force a child into psychosis and decompartmentalize their mind and have all these problems is with sex. You know what I mean? And That's why they do it. In ways and sexual disorders. So to me, I'm like, yep. uh-uh, you need to let kids have a development and the freedom to grow. They, they deserve mm-hmm. that. And to me, I'm also a child of God, and I also am very, very big about being a child of God. And What's the meaning child of God? 100%. What's that mean? I was made in God's likeness, honey. I am a child of God. I'm, I was created okay. in the image of God. So I am okay. flesh and flesh and blood of my blood, and I am created in the image of the Lord. So I'm a special, wonderful thing. And so to me, it's like I deserve the the ability to develop and grow in that mm-hmm. in that peace. I mean, without being sexualized, without having people force sexuality on you. Um. And so when I'm I'm growing up in this small town and I see these things, 
Hmm. You know, we had conversations about it. We we would always talk about these things in my family. There was nothing that we didn't talk about. My family is a very candid family. We don't right. have anything we don't discuss. Like, we don't talk about it. So, you I know, like this is here. a huge ordeal. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like, you know, these these people are going through these changes. These people are going through these transitions. But it was a lifelong journey that they had. You know, these people didn't feel comfortable in their body. And, you know, we were raised knowing that this is a psychological disorder. This is gender dysphoria. This is a sexual identity crisis. And I was a very curious kid. I'm, I'm a very smart lady. And I mm-hmm. started reading books about those things. And, you know, I remember the story of, I think her name was Tina Brandon, who was uh, a small-town gal who was actually raped and murdered because she had a sexual identity crisis. She was living her life as a boy, but she was a woman, and she Mm -hmm. was living in a small town. There's many movies and stuff that were created by her, but she was actually, you know, raped and beaten to death because she was living her life as a boy, and when they found out she was a girl, you know, they did all these violent things to her. So do I think Mm -hmm. people are suffering psychologically and they're suffering socially? Absolutely. I, and my heart does go out to them because I'm a sensitive person. I don't think anybody deserves suffering or abuse at the hands of anyone. At the same time, I think they need help. They don't need people, um, you know, helping them create this false sense of reality that their, their illnesses and their delusions of what is going on in their body is okay. You know what I mean? And it's like you need you need psychological help. You need somebody to talk to, and you need somebody to, you know, work through these things with you. And hey, if you if it gets to the point where you feel that you are in the wrong body, and this is what you're doing, if you're in your 30s and that's what you want to do, hey, go for it. But I'm not in a position in my life. I feel that I can speak for these people because I don't I don't have those issues, and I don't endure those things. Now, if you're pushing these agendas on children, that's different. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. that's a completely different set of discussions because I don't care what it is, children shouldn't be allowed to make decisions for themselves when they don't even have a fully functional, you know, capacity mentally in order to make cognitive reasoning about these things. Are there things you know innately about yourself? Yes. And it's like, okay, if you're in tune with yourself, great, but you're going to know that in five years. You're going to know that in 10 years. It's going to be something that's going to be with you forever. You know what I mean? You're not, it's not going to change with surgery. It's not going to change with any of those things. If that's how well, you see, that's feel, the illusion, you're always going to feel that way. That, that's the illusion. Yeah. This is where I think it's such a big lie because you cannot change your chromosomes. You cannot change from no, a man can't. to a woman. All you can do is look more like a man or a woman. You can live more yeah. like a man or a woman, but you'll never be one. You know, and so we have a comedy thing. I was just posting about uh, somebody wrote this book on, on uh, you know, two guys you know, the, 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 the joy of, of, you know, male pregnancy and birth. There is no such thing. That's ridiculous. There's no such you thing. Know, yeah. And I see, I've always been lucky. I'm, I was born, you know, it, it never occurred to me to be anything else. You know, I, I do dude stuff and I'm really comfortable being a guy. Um, and so, and love women. I, I wouldn't want to be a woman because then I wouldn't be the same in relationship with women as a guy. So what's the point of that? Um, so that was very lucky for me. You know, I've always been a straight guy you know, since I was like five years old, I had my first crush. You know, it's like, oh, I know who I am. <laughs> you know, so for me, it's always been easy. Never had to worry about choices. But I understand people have a lot more difficult times with difficult choices. But I wonder how much the environment puts it upon them. Like this actress, Megan Fox, who has three boys that she's trying to make girls. They're not naturally doing this. This is, this is her imposing that on them. And society, society imposes these, these things now. But I wish we'd be honest about abuse. it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. That's, child, that's abuse. Yeah. child abuse. Yeah. Because but here's, here's project- the problem. It, to me, it's like a form of like uh, Munchausen syndrome. You know, it's like Munchausen by proxy. 
Munchausen syndrome is like um, where people create these psychoses and uh, disorders in their mind and project them. So, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Like so she's got problems. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Munchausen by proxy is basically where you see the mothers that, that, you know, have these children that they tell the world and they tell their child that they have their handicap, they have cancer and they keep pushing all these drugs and stuff onto these kids because they have, they, they do it because they like the attention. You know what I mean? Like, no, oh, I, I, had, I had a parent like that. Yeah. I don't talk about this too much, but I had a parent that was constantly trying to get me into uh, psychological counseling, telling me I was crazy. It's like, no, I'm not crazy. Actually, I'm pretty stable. I think you're the one who might be crazy. And this is, you know, my teenage years. So says, no, but I'm in actually in pretty good shape. In fact, when I moved to California, uh, my mother's passed on now, so I can talk about this. But she actually made appointments with me with psychologists all the time. Uh, and and then, uh, then they call me up and say, you missed your appointment. I said, who made the appointment? Uh, you know, and the, give my mother's name. And like, yeah, that's me, pal. I said, if, and they try and collect money from me. Well, you owe us three hundred dollars for your missed appointment. I said, like hell, I do. I said, I didn't, yeah, like, no. I didn't contact you. I don't need you. This, and I, it's like, why do you keep doing this? And she couldn't explain. Well, you need help. You're crazy. You know, you need to, you need to talk to people. You're, you're not in your right mind. And then it's like, what? Uh, and just really horrible stuff. I mean, the, the emotional abuse that I took, you know, growing up was was horrible. Uh, never physical. No one ever abused me. No one ever touched me. No one ever caused me to grief. I didn't want That's for food or shelter. Though. But I mean, emotional, like, mentally? Oh, I mean, my, yeah. both my folks tried to break my spirit. Uh, guess what? It didn't work. And now I'm stronger than ever. But it took a, a nice little depression for a couple of years to get me through it, you know, in my 50s. And now now I'm absolutely fearless. And because of that depression, I can do action radio. We can talk about that sometime. I just want to do one more thing on trans stuff, then I want to get onto guns because this is more fun. Um, but it's a lie, and we've got to stop telling people that they can change their sex because they can't. Now, if, people, if we tell people that you can have elective surgery, cosmetic surgery, and drug therapy to look like the opposite sex, and if you think you're going to be happier, uh, understand that you cannot ever be the same as you were once you go through these treatments. You will never be who you are now. And why you think you're going to be happier that. really needs to be analyzed. Yeah, go ahead. The, like these men that are becoming women and lopping off their genitalia and inverting them into, you know, female genitalia, what they don't tell you and what they don't tell the public is all you have is a pocket there that you literally need to dilate either, either daily or weekly for it to stay a pocket because well, your body is a very intuitive. Uh, oh, yeah, your body is a very intuitive Mm-hmm. piece of work right your body's mm-hmm. always number one goal is to heal itself and to protect itself yeah so your body is he's like oh this isn't natural let me heal this part of my life so your body is going to be actively fighting against that pocket that your surgeon creates so you literally have to put a balloon inside of themselves to dilate that pocket to be a functioning pocket and if they don't but it never will it be will, because it, it's will, not god created it it's, will, it's, it's a it'll, myth it'll close it's, itself you see what I'm saying? So it's like, it's like you're earrings never you going don't wear. To be, yeah. 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 It's like you. It's going to close itself. So you literally have to dilate your body often, and for the rest of your life, you're going to have to do this in order to have this makeshift female organ. So it's like so this is this is why it's crazy. Well, it is. It'll, it'll never be a female people organ. People aren't talking about. Yeah. No, it won't. This, but, huh? Yeah. This so I mean, there's all these things that people don't talk about. In society right. because it makes the process look bad. You know what I mean? It's like, no. What is bad? You, it, it's unnatural is what it is. It's yeah. unnatural. 
And Mm. I, I mean, I'm a sensitive person. My heart goes out to these people because living in that state of unloving yourself that's mm-hmm. a horrible place to be and to feel the way they're feeling like I'm very, very sad that they feel this way because they're never going to feel whole within themselves. There's a vacancy within them that's never going to be filled until they really, really take, you know, sincere accountability for the issues that they're dealing with in life. And I, I wish everybody healing and I wish everybody happiness. And, you know, I am I'm a constitutionalist too. and I'm, a, you know, a, a two-way person. So I'm like, yeah. there are people in this world that will seek them out to purposely be violent and hurt them. So I hope that they're mm-hmm. embracing yeah. their right to self-defense. You know, I hope they're embracing their right to stay alive well, and, you know, to protect themselves. But at the same time, it's like there's also a psychological attack on them as well. This is a spiritual yeah. issue as well. Yeah, the gay community is actually buying guns like crazy, which is really interesting because they think the conservatives are coming after them. And we're like, hey, welcome to the club. <laughs> it's, it's something totally different. Um, the, the last thing on the trans thing, I just don't understand. I think it's as abusive as anything else that's going on right now um, to tell people that somehow if they change their sex, that their life will improve. That somehow in the wrong body. That to me is total nonsense. Now, if people want to do it. I wouldn't stop them once they get full consent and go through the whole procedure. But quite honestly, I would advise them. It's like, remember what ultrasound did for abortion, um, where all of a sudden people yeah. thought, well, it's a couple of cells. You know, I was raised, you know, back in the 70s. You know, my parents were absolutely pro-choice, marched for Roe v. Wade and abortion, the whole bit. And so, and they said, well, it's, this isn't a real person. It's just some cells, you know. And I thought, well, okay, as long as it's not a baby feeling pain, I guess it's okay, right? As soon as I found out otherwise, I went, whoa, no, this is not okay. Um, and the same thing with, uh, with, I think, ultrasound changed millions of people's lives. Once they see, this is not a real, this is, this is a baby we're talking about here. We're not talking about uh, somehow a mythical group of cells. And so in the same way, we need like an ultrasound uh, revelation in trance. We need people to know exactly what you said, that a balloon does not make you a female. That that uh, this is serious stuff. That is not that changing your body when you've got a, a a mental issue is is not is is completely wrong therapy. I mean, you know, in many ways it would be nice or outlawed, uh, and that people just got the counseling and the help that they needed and realized this their their body is not the problem. The body is the body God gave them. That's not the issue. You can you can you can change your mind and keep your body. Why would you ruin your body thinking that's going to change your mind? It's not. So what we really have to do with these folks is come up with an entirely new therapy. We need like an ultrasound moment. What can we bring about to show people that this is not the answer, that this is dangerous? There's a bunch of wacko, basically, you know, Nazis from Germany experimenting medically, uh, doing what I call Frankenstein medicine and ruining just people's lives because they cannot go back, you know, and, it's, uh, and they still have the mental issues. That's my final word on it. What do you think? Well, the um, speaking of mental health and how that plays a part of that, we were mm-hmm. talking about Dr. Biber in Trinidad, Colorado, who founded the surgery, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I believe his death was very uh, unusual. Like, I'm not, I'm not really recalling how he died, so I don't want to speak on something that I don't have 100% right. fact. However, when he did pass, the doctor who took over his practice in Trinidad was a transgender person. It was a man who went from uh, man to woman and was – the head, uh, you know, doctor over there in, in mm-hmm. Trinidad for the mm-hmm. transgender surgery. That doctor also blew their own head. So, oh, that's interesting. When we're talking, yeah. So to me, it's like, if let's look at, if we really look at the statistics, what we need is mental health. Colorado and the United States is horrible when it comes to mental health issues. And mm-hmm. if, we look at, if we look at society, 
And the things that have changed, you know, people are like, oh, well, all these mass shootings, all these things that have changed, school shootings, all this stuff. What's changed? What's changed? What's changed is the exposure to influence. You know what I mean? Like, let's, let's be real here. Everybody's walking around with cell phones and TV and movies and all of these, you know, force-fed imageries that are really doing a number on people's subconscious memory. And the subconscious is always on. Yeah, I mean, like it's always on. People mm-hmm. fall asleep to the TV. You don't think that has an effect on what you believe and what you hear? People mm-hmm. can't stop looking at their phones and are are meeting people from around the world and have all these impossible standards and these, you know, celebrities that are highlighted. It's all of these small little nuances that are are building up to bigger things to influence people. Because mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at look at the Amish community, do you think they have any of the any of the issues that the world does? No. You know what's the difference? I love they the Amish. I've been there. TV. Yeah. They don't have the influences that the outside world does. They have a strong faith base and community base. Right? So it's like, maybe all of those things aren't so bad. <laughs> you know? Well, no, here's, here's a universal that I found that anybody and everybody that comes on the show, if they have a strong belief in freedom, they also have a strong belief in God. That you cannot have one without the other. That if you uh, if you you either worship government, it's like you're either male or female, like we talked about earlier. You either believe in God and believe in a higher power and believe that there is an order to the universe and there's a purpose to all this, or you believe it's some total cosmic accident, so you might as well enjoy yourself before you die because that's it. Those are the choices. And I choose I believe to believe in, in God. What's that? I believe in both. I believe okay. in both. I um, huh. I mean, I I know that I'm a I know that I'm a magical creature. I know that mm-hmm. I'm very magical and I'm very special and I have the power of the universe within myself. And I am, mm-hmm. when I say this, people misconstrue what I'm saying, but I say I am God. And when people say I am God, I'm like, I am God. Because if Jesus is my father and I am God's child, then I am God. He, my, we are the same. And, by, and me having this earthly experience doesn't take away from my spirituality and where my soul is. Mm-hmm. And who my soul belongs to. It belongs to us both because I was created in God's image and I'm allowed to have that. And I, I'm right. also a very spiritual person because I see myself everywhere in this universe. I do. Like I see myself in, in I see myself when I look at my goddaughter. I see myself when I hmm. meet people that look like my family or remind me of a certain time in my life. I see myself and it's like and people forget that we're all connected somehow. You know, like yep. we're all connected somehow. There's there's really only one race, it's the human race. And well, I don't like, believe in the concept of race. I never, I never have. Uh, race means nothing to me. It's not a concept. Uh, I grew up without it. I didn't. I understand. I didn't hear the word race until I got to the United States. It just. It was never an issue. So that was actually bad for me. Um, but I'm different than you because I don't consider myself God. I see a difference, but I am completely spiritual. I mean, I talk to dragonflies. I mean, they, they, they land on me and you know I pick them up and save them. And uh, for some reason, it's like my, my spirit animal. They fly with me when I bike ride beside me. And I'm looking around. This is like a dragonfly keeping up with me. That's just weird. But there's a huge that's connection. That's very spiritual, a, and that's very beautiful, I think. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. But there are other animals do it, too. Rabbits run with me. This is my, my little bike trail, especially when I'm by myself. Weird things happen. But they're not weird because I feel myself completely spiritually connected. Well, people say, well, you can't believe in God if you do that. Yes, I can because it's all the same thing. No, We're all part true. of the same stuff. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so our, um, my family's indigenous, right? My family's uh-huh. mestizo. So if you're not familiar with what, what mestizo is, it's basically like – if you look at the history of the Americas, right, all of this were like Colorado on stuff. This was still Mexico, right? This right. was still Aztecs, Mayans, all mm-hmm. of that stuff, 
right? Mm-hmm. So these native cultures, Indios, right. Mestizos. So in our culture, one of the things that is believed is that, um, like people get, you know, they talk about Bigfoot, well, hairy man and all that stuff, mm-hmm. is that back in the day, animals and humanity were able to communicate. And because man became industrious and started robbing the forest and robbing the animals and abusing the forest and abusing the animals, that the animals stopped communicating with mankind as punishment for the transgressions against, you know, the animal kingdom. Oh, I mean, people sense. forget humans are animals, but they stopped communicating with them as punishment because of industry. They were abusing hmm. land and the and animals. So that's, you know, if you go back into indigenous cultures, that's, the the belief because if you look back at like old hieroglyphics and stuff you see a lot of man and animals always together and communing and yeah. I, I I'm a very sensitive person I love animals I do I I feel that way do you, and, you know I love dogs I think I I used to hunt I stopped I'm really getting back into it again just because because okay. you can hunt spiritually to, you know uh, and this is the thing too so the natural world so the animals were talking to the people the people were hunting animals but they weren't doing it wastefully. It wasn't for trophies. Mm-hmm. It wasn't for profit. It was for food exactly. and shelter and clothing and everything else. And everything, yes. you know, we have a world that, that God created where everything eats everything else pretty much, <laughs> you know, and, or, yes. or tries to stop, you know, from, from being eaten. And so somehow that's, I got a question for Wendy who does our Oh My God report. She's our, our minister on the show. And I'm going to ask you that. Why, why would God create a world where everything has to eat everything else to survive? It's a pretty hostile place, but it's beautiful at the same time. And yet it works. And maybe that's the only way that it could work. Otherwise, we'd all get fat and lazy and uh, nobody would, uh, you know, no animal would, would get, you know, better at being what it is. Um, anyway, yeah. The reason I'm really getting back into hunting is because of the whole unvaccinated, un, you know, grass-fed, it's natural, it's, right. you know, of this earth. It's un, untouched by man's hands. Mm-hmm. And it's to the point that now, it's like... Sense. I, well, I, I'm I'm a hippie old broad. You know, what I mean, people think that because I I shoot guns and I love guns that I'm like this super, you know, right wing Republican person. It's like, no, I'm a hippie chick. You know, like I'm organic everything. <laughs> I'm, you know, I, I'm a I'm a super duper hippie chick, and it's yeah. like I love that stuff, and I want to eat grass fed food. I want to eat plant based mm-hmm. food. I want to eat things that are of this earth natural and. You know, no vaccinated animals that are going to put that in my body. No, I don't want any of that. So to me now, it's like, well, the only way that I'm really guaranteed to do that is by supporting a small farm. I've I've been looking in like some small farms that are here in Colorado that I can start buying from. And then Mm -hmm. also hunting for my own food and hunting for my own meat. Because at least I know that it is, you know, of of the natural life cycle. Thank you for that, too. I got friends that have chickens, and I get my eggs from them, and I'm working on uh, looking for more organic stuff. We have uh, farmer's markets around here, a um, big one in Pensacola, and over here in Milton, hoping to get more here. But you can't do it, but you've got to get it out of the system. You know, you have to uh, remove yeah, yourself from and it. it, it it's, a, it's a whole change. So right now, mm-hmm. just to give, you know, nobody, people listening, they don't have a clue who I am or what I do. So <laughs> They will. You'll be I'm, back. I'm a, yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a Colorado gal, 100% Colorado-raised Love guns, right. shoot guns, believe mm-hmm. in self-defense, organic mm-hmm. hippie chick, and I love to travel. And I travel so much that I shoot guns all over the United States, and I educate people about guns that I'm looking to buy a Class A RV. Hopefully, I'm going to find somebody that's going to 
hear this and be like, hey, we're an RV company. You know, we'd love to be an affiliate, and you can drive one of our RVs across the nation, and we'll support your cop. Like, yeah, oh, I love that. Um, yeah. But well, you never want to give some contact information, and we'll give it at the end of the hour too. Any contact information yeah, you I, have? I, Websites, oh, Facebook yeah. I'm, I'm on Instagram. I'm at the Boomstick Babe on Instagram. My website, boomstickbabe.com. You can mm-hmm. find me pretty much on every platform out there under Boomstick Babe. That's me. Um, okay. But that's why I want to be able to have an RV is, one, to take my dogs with me wherever I go, mm-hmm. and right. two, to be able to control my food. Because it's like when you travel, you're subject to what's around you. Yeah. You know, Waffle it's house. like I go to the <laughs> south a lot, and it's like, oh. Yeah. Everything's fried. I go to Missouri. Everything's overcooked and overseasoned. You know, I'm like, yeah. I don't want to yeah. eat this way. And, and, you know, you are what you eat. So I'm like, I just need to But hunting a place. takes time. You'd have to find a hunting place and, you know, have your hunting stuff with you in the RV. And I guess, well, I guess you could do it. I don't know. I, I've never That's really what thought I do, about though. that. Oh, okay. I mean, well, I, I take guns with me everywhere. <laughs> I'm like, okay. there's no place that I go that I don't have a gun. So yeah. that, it would be even, that would be more ideal for me is to have, uh-huh. you know, be able to have a safe in my RV with me, the way I have my different guns and I have stuff because that's the whole point. Like I travel with a gun case that's huge because if I'm going somewhere, I'm probably going to need a handgun. I'm probably going to need a rifle. I'm probably going to need a, you know, a couple hundred uh, rounds of ammo because we're training. Right. What do you do in the liberal states? You know, the, what do you do in liberal states that want carry permits and all kinds of licenses and all kinds of crazy stuff like that? And you may not want to answer this question on the air. It's up to you, but I'm just curious. Well, I'm going to tell you something about me, buddy. I really don't give a damn. <laughs> okay. Because right. that's one of my biggest rights about freedom is everybody is asking for permission of civil rights that they're already granted. And I don't ask for permission. I don't negotiate with tyrants, period. Okay. And I don't think I it's in their damn business what yeah, I have yeah. on me at any time. Yeah. Um, I tend to only frequent places that frequent freedom. So you, you catch me in the South a lot. Because they're they're not asking me questions. I'm not going to the range or you know outdoors where they're going to be like, you know, oh, do you have your papers for that NFA item or uh, you know your tax stamps for your you know uh, silencer or your suppressor? Uh-uh, I don't do that. I, I don't support businesses or states or give them my money that mm-hmm. are anti freedom. Like I'm very political about that. So you're not gonna oh, you know. You can miss me yeah. with it. I'm not going to be spending my money there. I'm not going to be frequenting that place. I'm not going to be supporting that place. But I'm also a firm believer that I'd rather catch a case and catch a casket. My life is worth protecting. It doesn't matter where I'm at in the mm-hmm. country. And I'm I'm allowed to defend myself. So Well, yeah, I, we've I, got uh, we've got an illegal uh, government that just brought in 15 million criminals. So, I mean, it's, this country has become a lot more dangerous. Well, I'm actually suing the state of Colorado right now. So there is a case against the state of Colorado. It is, uh, yeah, me, hi, hi, I did that. Go for it. uh, I'm very anti-gun control, and I live in a state that's very, very liberal and that has a huge history of created violence that they like to deem gun violence, but it's violence. And I believe that um, they use Colorado as a political uh, tool to create violence here and put a line, uh, a spotlight on it to create fear to promote taking away of civil rights. So Colorado mm-hmm. passed a bill recently. I think it's uh, House Bill twenty three one seventy, 
I think I have to, I want to make sure that I'm quoting that properly because probably mm-hmm. there have been like eight. Definitely. What, what's the bill do? Well, we, we can do it by subject. It basically what's, what's hinders somebody from purchasing a gun within three days. It's a three day waiting period for gun purchases in the state of Colorado. So huh. if I was a, a person whose uh, uh, ex-romantic relationship comes in their job in the morning and threatens them and says, hey, I'm going to kill you, and I call the cops and I get a restraining order and all that stuff, but now I still have a person out there who's trying to actively kill me and knows mm-hmm. where I live and where I work, I should be able to go to the store, buy a gun, and have my gun and be able to protect myself and my life that day. They're imposing a three-day waiting period saying that you have to wait three days to acquire that gun, even though you pass all already gun control infringements that they do to pass background checking and investigate you and make sure that they deem you safe enough to have a gun. Yes, yeah, so all that's unconstitutional. You know, I mean, the Constitution means what it says, that you cannot touch the right to keep and bear arms. That doesn't give you the right to use them any way you want, because there is no such thing. We have legal and illegal uses. And when I talk about the Second Amendment, I explain that to people all the time. So well, we have to stop gun violence. We have to restrict the Second Amendment. Okay, so well, you can stop criminals, and you can, you can change legal and illegal uses under statutory law, but the Second Amendment has nothing to do with that. The Second Amendment is constitutional last law. Time I it's Supreme Bill statutory law. has been illegal law. for a long time, and that doesn't stop people from committing yeah, it. Yeah, bank robbery is illegal, Rape's but they still illegal. do it. It doesn't stop people yeah. from committing it. Exactly. You know, mm-hmm. home invasions are illegal, but doesn't stop people from doing it. So mm-hmm. that's like, this is ridiculous. And, you know, I'm, I'm a very, very tiny little lady. I'm for I'm 100 pounds of... Wait, wait, you, you cut out there for a second. How tall are you? 4'11". 4'11"? Oh, yeah. I'm a tiny little lady. I'm, I'm oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I'm tiny. You can't My tell personality is gigantic. Your personality is huge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a very dainty, tiny woman. Oh, yeah. Dainty. dainty is not a word I would describe you as. I just, it doesn't, that's not the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> So I'm such a delicate flower. Delicate so, flower, yeah. You know, yeah me, I've heard that yeah, before. It's yeah, it's like a – firearms are the you know, ultimate equalizer. It's the only tool that allows a handicapped person, you know, an elderly person, a frail person, a small right. person oh, to I agree. level the playing field against somebody who's, willing, <laughs> who's intending to do them physical harm. It really is. Yeah, but- and, you know, there's all these – People want to misinterpret what a gun is. It's like, well, if you look at all these people that are creating these laws against guns, they have no idea what the hell they're talking about. I just posted a, um, a video of that on Instagram them trying to, you know, put away these, these, these pistol braces and discussing pistol braces. And it's like, you, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It makes no sense whatsoever. Because these are, these oh, are people that are completely ignorant on the tool, and they want to make laws that prohibit people from using these tools that they don't know one thing about how they function. So I'm actually they looking to, to uh, become a gunsmith as well because oh, be I testify a lot in – yeah, I mean I testify a lot against gun control in mm-hmm. the state of Colorado as mm-hmm. to why it's ridiculously dumb, and yep. I love guns. And I want to be able to work on my own guns and do my own things and that makes sense. assess certain yeah. issues. And, you know, it's like being a gun mechanic is how I think about it. And so I want to learn more <laughs> about how that functions it. and runs. Yeah, it, it really is. It's like I'm, I'm a gun, gun mechanic. Yeah. 
That makes more sense. Yeah. yeah. So, mechanics are perfectly acceptable. Yeah. Uh, we've only got a few minutes left. We can run into overtime, but uh, we'll see how our, our schedules go. But um, there's something. Well, first of all, did you mention what the lawsuit was? Why you're suing Colorado? I've forgotten exactly what's. Uh, yeah, because it's a three-day waiting period for. Uh, the three-day waiting. Okay. All right. Right. So here's here's the thing. And the reason that I say the, the, the gun control mob, first of all, un, all gun control is unconstitutional for what I just said. Yes. In fact, you can you can use this in your testimony that the Second Amendment is an absolute right because all rights are absolute because if they're not. If the government infringes on a right in any way, it's not a right anymore. It's a government issued privilege. Yes. So that's why all rights are absolute. And so the next thing you can say is that the Second Amendment. Uh, and they say, well, is the Second Amendment absolute? Of course it is. You have an absolute right to keep and bear guns. Now, using guns comes under statutory law because there are legal and illegal uses of guns. That's why using a gun will never be a right, but keeping and burying it is. And the reason you have to be able to bear it anytime you want is because if you need it for self-defense, it has to be instantly available. You can't go back to your home. You can't go back to your car. You have to have it. So in order to exercise you know, your right of self-defense, which is your right, which is a legal use of firearms, you have to be able to keep and bear them at all times. That's how I explain it. And so and if you break it into use is, you know, and anything that uh, uh, infringes on your keeping and bearing is automatically unconstitutional. So all gun control is automatically unconstitutional. Anything that infringes on your right, on anything, that, yeah, anything that makes it a privilege is automatically unconstitutional. So all gun control is unconstitutional because it, it, it touches the right to keep and bear. Now, again, what people will say, I what about the criminals? What about this? What about that? Those are uses of firearms. And once you separate in people's mind uses from keeping and bearing, most of the rest of your arguments will be easy. That's how I do it. I got it on me. That's what people okay. are like. Well, well, like how, how much of a gun person are you? I got it on me. It's my best friend. It goes with me everywhere I go. There you I, go. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, but guns represent freedom, on. and this is what they see. So the attack. So here's the thing. We got to like I say. I, want to, I really want to cover this topic because I think it's critical. But guns represent freedom. The ability of you to mm-hmm. defend your life. The ability of you to take a life if you have to. The ability of you to be confident enough to have something that's incredibly uh, resourceful, incredibly protecting, can feed you, can can save your life, can do all these things, but it can also take life. And to have that responsibility, there are those that believe you should not have that kind of power as an individual. And I'm saying, but that defines what an individual is. An individual is someone that has that power and uses the implement of that power, which is the firearm. People guns every year. People forget that. Like, people have been killing people with hands and feet. Oh, yeah. But that's not the point, though. But see, a gun represents... See, the reason gun people don't... uh, uh, Gun controllers don't, don't care about how guns function or what an assault weapon is. They don't care because it represents freedom. So what they're really trying to do is take your freedom. That's the problem. And a gun is one of the most, um, it's the greatest symbol of freedom because if you have guns, you have freedom. And this is why red mm-hmm. flag laws, you know, are illegal or any law that says, you know, we're going to arrest, we're going to take your property for what you might do in the future. Maybe, you know, that's, that's yep. unconstitutional. And so all these things come under, it really comes under freedom. And if you look at guns as freedom and replace the word gun with freedom, you know, we're trying to have free control. You know, we're trying to limit the capacity of your freedom. We're trying to limit where you can carry your freedom with you. So anytime you want to throw the argument, I just thought of this just now, it's kind of cool. Anytime you want to change the argument, say, well, you really just talking about my freedom. You know, so it is freedom mm-hmm. control. You know, it is high capacity mm-hmm. freedom. You know, it is a, you know, a pistol, mm-hmm. like a freedom brace. And why can't I have a freedom brace? Or as I say, you know, people say, well, that's an assault weapon. I go, no, it's a freedom rifle. 
So if you define all your guns mm-hmm. as freedom guns, it's a freedom pistol. It's a freedom this. It's freedom that. All of a sudden, it, it, perception. Words are everything. It changes the language in a way that allows you to do anything with it. So so feel free. And That's have why they use to, the, prop- the propaganda terms that they do because they're just right. constantly – constantly indoctrinating people with ignorance if you if you listen mm-hmm. to any of these gun control arguments they always say the same exact things over and over and over and over again it's like mm-hmm. it's like the puppet up the up the skirt of <laughs> you know liberals and all you hear is uh-huh. you know the repetition talk that they're force-fed over and over and over again they have no idea what they're talking about there's just they're just saying what they've been told to say like a broken record because they're completely indoctrinated by fear and ignorance. That's it. Mm-hmm. it. None of these people, when I listen to them talk, have any rationale whatsoever. It's all fear-based. It's all emotion-based. It's all of that. So mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. they don't come with facts. They don't come with uh, togetherness. Like, if you watch these debates, these people are very, very irrational. They're very, very emotional. Everything mm-hmm. is based on fear. It's, everything is based on we're afraid, we're tired of this happening, everybody wants safety. And that's what I continue to lead with is like, we all want the Mm -hmm. same thing. We all want to feel safe. We all want to protect the children. We all want guaranteed safety for us and our families. Your idea of that is giving up your civil rights. My idea of that is exercising them. We're not the Mm -hmm. same. Yep. And I explain to these people that I'm a protector. Like, there's no way that I'm going to ever be anywhere if someone is going to endanger the life of people and children with me there because I'm I'm a protector of the children. So it's like, no, 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 honey, you want someone like me armed because I train and I care, and there's no way I'll ever get – ever let anyone get away with anything that's going to harm somebody. At the Mm -hmm. same time, they associate them with weapons of war. It's like, no, 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 these are weapons of peace. I'm a peacekeeper because I don't look at it as I'm going to murder somebody. I look at it as I'm defending my life. I'm defending life and I'm protecting myself. And people need to be reminded of that. Like, I don't, this is the only tool in my life that completely allowed me to be so unbothered. There's Mm -hmm. not a thing you could say to me. There's not, you know, a perspective that you can share with me that I'm going to look at you and say, you know what, I disagree with you, so I'm going to harm you. No, I'm I'm going to live and live because to me it's not worth dying over. I'm I'm much more calm and relaxed because I have this tool than I would be if I didn't. How do you answer the question when someone, uh, a judge said this in California, and I've got an answer for it, but I'm curious what, what, uh, what you would say when someone says, well, you can't have a gun because I don't feel safe, and, and I have a right to feel safe. I have a right to feel safe also, and this is the tool that allows me to feel safe. And I explain to them, you know, mm-hmm. hey, I'm, I'm, whatever has happened to you in your life has made you so fearful and afraid that you think that you are unsafe. You really need to find the root to that. So you can address it and pluck it because what I do and how I live my life doesn't allow you to project your fear onto me and rub me on my civil rights, period. So yeah, you no, I agree. help yourself and find out why you're so afraid. Get mental health, talk to somebody, figure it out. Go do ayahuasca in the jungle. Go do psilocybin in the hills and the mountains <laughs> with shamans. Seriously, yeah. whatever yeah. it's going yeah. to take for you to, to heal yourself and figure mm-hmm. that out, do it. But your your fears don't dictate my civil rights, period. Exactly. And the last time I checked, I live in America. Yeah. 
Yeah. Feeling, you know, your feelings do not take away my rights. They never can. They never will. Exactly. Quite frankly, the, the government can't regulate your feelings, but they can take away my rights. You're, you can feel whatever yes. you want. You can be the worst torturous, you know, gulag in, in the pits of hell, and you can still feel whatever you want. The government can't stop. So your feelings are yours. My rights are mine, mm-hmm. and your rights are yours, too. And so that's just how it's My rights like, don't no, stop the, because your fear begins, honey. Yeah. Sorry. And quite frankly, you, you, don't have, you don't have a right to feel safe at somebody else's expense. In fact, uh, no. because uh, feelings are never, are never rights. So that's a, that's a bogus argument. Anyway, that's how I answer. I was curious. We, we sort of came about the same way, which is cool. Um, we're we're kind of out of time. We're sort of in overtime right now. Uh, anything you want to say about – this has been fun. This has been really great to have you on. Thanks for calling early, too, because I was really – Thanks for having me. You know, yesterday oh, when we spoke, pleasure. for some reason, uh-huh. I thought the day was – the whole day was Friday yesterday. I didn't realize the day is Friday. It was like a day back. So oh, like, yeah. Like, no. <laughs> at, I was like, at that early in the morning, I was like, mm. But then I was yeah. like, oh, wait, it's Friday, so and then it, it all made Friday. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're welcome back anytime. In fact, I'd like to have, like I say, especially um, because women are such a, a prominent feature in, in the gun you know, world now and civil rights and everything else like that. It's just it, it make great spokespeople for uh, for the whole industry. So I've had a bunch of folks on. I'd like to get like a rotation of like, you know, four or five women just to come on regularly. And the guys are welcome too. I mean, don't get me wrong, but there's like plenty of guys talking about guns all the time in, in a million different places. And this is the... Uh, you know, a place I think it would be just uh, more interesting to get a different perspective. Um, so if you ever want to come on, announce where you are, competitions, teaching, things like that, when you hit the road, you know, we'll figure out what, what RV you get. And also I have some legislation for you, which I, I dropped into your messenger. So feel free to yeah, uh, yeah. share those bills as well. And if any of your sponsors want to help our citizen legislature, I'm open to that too. Advertising, contributions. Um, just uh, get, get my Substack, you know, uh, paid subscription to my Substack. All that kind of stuff would help us out here tremendously. Because I have a ton I'm, of uh, people and affiliates okay. that I work for or I work with. Okay. If people are interested in finding that, they can find all that stuff. Um, you can go to my Instagram, at the Boomstick Babe. You can go to Facebook, Boomstick Babe on there. I have a mm-hmm. link tree on TikTok. I have a link tree on everything. I have on my website, boomstickbabe.com. Um, you can find all my affiliates there. I have affiliate programs if you're interested in, in purchasing through those affiliate programs. I have discount codes for all that stuff. This is the set. Everything you do helps me continue to fight for freedom because, like I said, I'm I'm going to be on the road. I travel a lot. I'm going to be going to a whole bunch of events for the rest of the year. I'm going to GunCon. I'll be in Vegas. I'll be um, – there's tons of things that are going on in the freedom community that I'll be at. So, And I'm always everywhere putting a highlight on freedom. So, you know, well, you girl out, go give me a pillow, all that stuff. You can call the show anytime, even if it's like five minutes. Hey, I'm in, I'm in uh, New Mexico doing this, or hey, I'm in Connecticut. Guess what? You know, I'm challenging a gun law. I mean, you, anytime you want to call the show, feel free. So you can be very oh, spontaneous. Awesome. Any, anytime 7 to 10 Central Time, which would be like 8 to 11 Eastern or uh, 5 to 8 West uh, Pacific Time, anything like that. Yeah. This has been fun. Thank you. Thank Appreciate you for it. having me. Thank you for uh, seeking me out and giving me the opportunity to um, share my perspective. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And, and I want to thank the weather for holding off and not, you know, blowing out the transformer, which occasionally happens right in the middle of my show. Um, but uh, And I've been the, sitting the, right here in the corner in my house where I have reception not to move. <laughs> uh, it's been, actually, it's been pretty good. No, it's actually worked out really well considering, you know, yesterday the signal was going all over the place. Alicia, thank you so much. Um, I'm going to end the show now and uh, carry on and get ready for Monday. It never stops awesome. at Action Radio. Well, you guys have a great weekend. Thank you for supporting me. Oh, absolutely. Thank you very much for, for uh, coming on the show. All right. So, uh, Alicia, you got all of her information, Art Garcia, 
and uh, we shall uh, come back Monday. I'm not quite sure what I've got. I think I've got, oh, you know what it is? Monday's the two-year anniversary of our bill on big tech. And so what I'm going to do is get our big tech bill, which is the one that ends big tech censorship, uh, in just a few lines, explain it, talk about it, um, by the fact that it's been out for two years and nobody has uh, picked up on it, which is a real problem. Same thing with our vaccine bill, which is over two years old, which preceded all the mandates. And, of course, our big one is the constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. So the main site here is blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. Our legislative site is writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Our contribution site is givesendgo.com slash action radio. My substack, gregpest.substack.com. And my public email is greg at writeyourlaws.com. And I've played everything. <laughs> the only thing left to do is our closing music for the week. And I'll be back Monday morning. Not, excuse me, Monday morning, start again, 7 a.m. Central Time, where we will do it all again. 